0: Hello and welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we watch, review, and discuss two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. We are brought to you by the Drama Vias Podcast Network, and this week's movies are The Rock from 1996 from director Michael Bay, and 2012-11's Cabin in the Woods from director Drew Goddard. I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined here by... Jim. Hello, everybody. Hello, Patrick. This is our first non-Bond Sean Connery movie that I know that's exciting for you. Very exciting. This might be, like, one of Sean
1: Connery's last actual movies before he kind of transitioned into retirement.
0: It's probably, like, his last, for lack of a better term, I'll say significant movie. Like, in terms of it was a big hit. Critics, for the most part, liked it, I think. I think, like, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars. Well, Roger Ebert at that point, I'm sure, could relate to a former great who's <laughs> just kind of clinging to life at that point, of course. But no, I, I kid, but um, do you, have, you've probably seen the movie Entrapment, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, I feel like I'm probably the only one that likes that movie, but I like that movie quite a bit. Uh, that's, that's in my incredibly biased opinion that's connery's last great movie and it really isn't great but i i, I just watched that a lot as a kid and no no no.
1: Knows. his last his last great movie is the league of extraordinary gentlemen
0: his literal last movie
1: that made him quit acting he was like this is fucking awful i hate yeah, every I, second of this i'm done he I'm had out. such
0: an awful relationship with that director um that i believe that director still hasn't recovered from i believe he hasn't made a film since then also <laughs> so League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, it ruined lives, folks. (laughs) But The Rock, to my knowledge, didn't ruin any lives, unlike Animal House last week.
1: Oof, yeah. Funny enough, I was doing a bit of research on this movie. The minimal amount of research that I usually do on these movies.
0: So a negative amount of research?
1: Exactly, yeah. I sat on my couch, I watched the movie, and then I had a nap and that was it. (laughs) Interesting factoid number one, you and I recorded a... What's it called? An uh, a thing? A commentary, commentary track? track on uh, Cold? Are Pursuit? Are you going with
0: the William Forsyth connection?
1: No, I could have, but Cold Pursuit had a budget of sixty million. This large, loud, bombastic action movie had a budget of seventy-five million. Yeah, and I I, I guess like you know these two movies were were made twenty yeah, years in, apart. Yeah, inflation
0: definitely plays a plays a role there in in uh, Cold Pursuit, almost having an equivalent budget, but just think of where this movie was filmed versus where cold Purs- cold pursuit was filmed in the middle of nowhere this movie we get that awesome car chase through the streets of san francisco <laughs> like that's a, a that's a a ton of money was spent on that i guarantee it oh it is Yeah, you
1: know? or it was yeah
0: yeah well i guess without further ado
1: let's get into it
0: his name is john mason british national incarcerated on alcatraz in 1962 escaped in 63 there's no identity in the united states or great britain he does not exist
1: secrets have a way of coming back to haunt you there's a hostage situation on alcatraz hostage 81 tourist. the rocks a tourist attraction so as you've already pointed out it was directed by michael bay which is why it's so fucking loud and ridiculous
0: i don't have a lot of experience with michael bay obviously i know his reputation because he's one of the biggest filmmakers around and everyone at least for a while hated him i think some people are kind of coming around on him now he made the movie ambulance a year or two ago and people really liked that one so i think there's there's definitely michael bay defenders out there i haven't seen enough of his movies to either hate him or like him but i know a lot of people that still that hate michael bay will still like this movie and still kind of acknowledge that hey this is pretty good this is like the only good Michael Bay movie I've heard I've heard that from a number of people so
1: well I have some opinions on either the directing or the writing but I'll get into that later
0: Uh, there's a few moments because again haven't seen a lot of Michael Bay movies but I kind of know his reputation through osmosis obviously loves the explosions loves attractive women which (laughs) there's not a whole lot of that in this movie uh, i mean sean the, Connery's sex most attractive appeal of sean connery <laughs> exactly but his penchant his apparent penchant for placing really dumb in juvenile humor is definitely in here and there's a couple moments where i'm like this is awful <laughs> you know it, it wasn't there wasn't too much of it and overall yeah. i wouldn't say it affected the movie too much as a whole but like in that in those moments i'm like what is this this is so stupid
1: yeah i totally agree okay well anyways this stars nicholas cage obviously sean connery the late great loaded
0: cast loaded cast yeah, we got ed a lot harris. Of good, yeah ed harris is awesome we have always. tony todd in it yeah a way bigger role than i thought he would have yeah he's i know like, a huge role he's like the number three villain i would say and and he's like if you look at the cast like he's pretty far down there so it's much bigger he's listed lower than john c mcginley on wikipedia he has a yeah, way bigger role than john c mcginley
1: yeah and you know i'm glad he's in this movie i like him a lot also david morse is i think like the yeah. the right hand man of uh yeah
0: he's of... he's villain number two yeah
1: and he's great too in, in everything he's in
0: yeah he's uh, just a good character actor he's a very good villain i always remember him for disturbia but yeah he's he's awesome he uh, he's also i mean he's not always a villain because uh one of his more memorable roles is tom hanks's prison guard yes, buddy yeah. in the green mile but great actors,
1: and again, like you said, loaded cast for this movie. Again, on a seventy-five million dollar budget, pretty impressive. But uh, Ed Harris, he plays a fellow by the name of Brigadier General Francis Hummel. He's a Navy special ops guy who's dis- Marines. Okay, he's a Marine. <laughs> yeah, who's Ma- disillusioned Marines, with Navy, the government. There's there's
0: a there's a relationship there. Okay, I'm not. I'm. You're Canadian. You don't know this stuff. It's fine.
1: But yeah, he's he's upset with the American government. He's pretty disillusioned because he has been a Marine since like the late '60s. He fought in Vietnam
0: mm-hmm. up until he commanded people in Vietnam. Yes, he wasn't exactly. Yeah. Run of the mill, yeah.
1: and he's lost like eighty odd people under his command, and because of all of the things he was doing in various theaters of war was were so top secret whenever somebody died under his command they were not given a proper funeral they were left to rot their family was never really told what happened to them and their family wasn't compensated by the American government
0: mm-hmm.
1: so instead of you know going to I don't know like the Supreme Court or Congress or something I don't know how how you would appeal this he decides he's going to steal 15 VX gas rockets from a Navy base yeah. and capture Alcatraz oh, yeah. and point his rockets I mean rockets-
0: this is this is what you would do right you would yeah, go of course, Alcatraz <laughs> of course i mean you know
1: i i think i think yes patrick i would aim a bunch of gas rockets at san francisco each one capable of killing about 70 to eighty thousand people and i think you know what i'll hold the american government and tourists in alcatraz as ransom
0: yeah 81 tourists i think yeah
1: yeah yeah. and uh, ranger ranger bob or whatever his name who
0: did you recognize ranger bob by the way he's come up in two movies that we've covered
1: I mean, I I thought his face he is shrunk, he
0: is shrunken meatloaf in Doctor Alien. He's Doctor Alien's right hand man, <laughs> and uh, he's he's also a prison guard in Halloween Four that gets his head, his head bashed in.
1: No way, dude, that's great. Yeah, good for Look him. Look at him getting these great roles. <laughs> yeah. He's great, yeah, yeah he's I, he was, he's
0: he's one of the best parts of Doctor Alien. He's very funny in that be fair oh yeah that's right yeah he's like the little like sexed up little yeah he's, he's it's a major role definitely the biggest of the three movies we've seen him in oh but for sure yeah i i've got a i've got a few things to say about this movie and one this is going to sound like an insult but i don't mean it as one this is one of the dumbest movies i've ever seen yes i uh, i 100 agree but it's dumb in like a fun way where it's just like it's i'm not really being asked to take this seriously mm-hmm. Like why are we hijacking Alcatraz? Why are we <laughs> why are we using this 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 uh bomb thing? Like it's just all stupid and weird. Yeah, or it, even but like But then also there there is this interesting touch to make Ed Harris not completely just crazy or evil. I mean his logic is messed up, but there's a tiny bit of like a first blood. Mm-hmm. where we're trying to make him sympathetic in a way. Like, ultimately, what he wants is only fair. But yeah. his methods of trying to get that are just like, what? And then, you know, so he's humanized in a way that his underlings really aren't. And that's fine, because it's a movie. But yeah, talk about a stupid movie. Well, <laughs> but to, to, also, to just, you know, also not bad. I don't think we've
1: mentioned what exactly he wants. He wants $100 million from the American government. From a slush fund that they have, a secret slush yes, fund.
0: one million to each of the people who died and then the remaining, or the families of those who died. And the re- remaining money for him to spend as he pleases. And I think he's told his men that they're each getting a million. Yes, so, yeah. So that's just the rest of them. Yeah. Because, because the guys following him are kind of just crazy people a little bit. I mean, they're all military. Yes. But they're ultimately we learn a lot more zealous about his crazy plan even than he is
1: yes exactly so while ed harris is stealing rockets and setting up an alcatraz we're introduced to nicholas cage who plays a character named stanley goodspeed he is a chemical weapons expert but we're introduced to him in like the most insane way possible where we see him spend three hundred dollars on like a beatles album and then meet
0: the beatles it's like their second or third album it's one of the early ones
1: oh there you go and then he has to like diffuse a gas bomb in a in a metal and glass chamber in the FBI in some FBI building I don't know and it's shot in a way that almost gives you a headache like all the action in this movie is shot in a way that makes you want to vomit
0: yeah a little bit I mean because even I mentioned that car chase scene it's awesome it's still just I don't really like a lot of the way it's edited this scene here in particular first off vinyl wasn't really back in 96 so this is a really weird hobby for when this movie came. yeah like nowadays like i have albums on vinyl now mm-hmm. so do you actually but you know so so this is like a weird thing for him to spend money on i guess is the point and it's still weird if it's three hundred dollars yeah. today
1: yeah
0: i mean i i just got ripped off on the the newest beyonce album i got that on vinyl and 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 it was like 40 bucks which is a lot but i'm like okay let me listen to it and then it's four-sided so it's got two discs but each side is like three songs. And it's like, you could have made this on one. You could have made this on one. Yeah. This could be a two-sided album. Yeah, absolutely. The only reason you made it four-sided is to jack up the price. It's it's criminal. <laughs> it's it's worse than anything Ed Harris does in this film. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate.
1: I'd be so pissed off if I'm honest, Patrick. If I got that, I'd be so pissed yeah, off. Yeah, it's
0: like, what is this? Like This is <laughs> a joke. There's, it's three songs on a side. But, yeah, so this scene that he's doing, the the Nick Cage, he's doing his chemistry stuff, it's it's there to establish that he knows how to act under pressure, right?
1: Yeah, well, it's there to it's establish also... a couple things. He knows how to act under pressure. Yes. He's intelligent, and he's quick thinking.
0: Sure, yeah. Right. Well, but it also, like, I kind of wanted him to be a bit more of an everyman. Yeah. I mean, he, need, he needs to know, he needs to have the scientific knowledge, obviously, because otherwise there's no reason... For him to tag along in this mission, but they make him like an action hero even in this like kind of opening scene with him, and it's like I I, I don't think I would have made this way. the thing is, for the rest of
1: the movie, he's not played as an action hero. He's an yes. action
0: hero in the opening
1: scene where he's introduced, yes. and then the rest of the movie, he's and the he, he becomes
0: one at like the very end. But at that yeah. point, you know, it's it's fair because he's kind of he's earned it. Been assisted by. Mr. Connery and everything. And yeah, it it was just kind of a strange way to introduce the character.
1: That ties into something I have a. Well, I guess one of my biggest complaints about this movie, and perhaps Michael Bay or the writing, I don't know. But everything is shown, but not really explained, if that makes sense. I guess there's like an old filmmaking adage kind of thing. It's like, it's better to show it than explain it in dialogue
0: you know what i mean you say filmmaking really this is just storytelling because this is true in novels and everything obviously yeah
1: but all the stuff that they show in this movie is retarded so let's start with ed harris we see him put on his his medals and his military uniform and he goes to his wife's grave in the pouring rain he's like honey i'm gonna do this and then we see him steal a bunch of rockets from a military base one of his guys dies his Mm -hmm. flesh gets melted off of him because that's what this these gas rockets do hmm. But then as he's taking over Alcatraz or right before he's about to, he goes up to these two little girls in in like a class trip
0: and he goes, yeah, I thought those were his daughters or something. The way he talked to them. I yeah, think well, it was yeah, so strange.
1: he gets down on one knee and he's like, hey, girls, I need you to do me a favor. Tell your teacher that you need to go back on the bus and get out of here. So we're like, OK, so this guy's a good guy. Yeah. even though he just ransacked a navy base and stole a bunch mm-hmm. of rockets and has this ridiculous plan okay sure whatever i guess i'll go with it so sean connor his yeah. character's name is john mason when you're introduced oh i him, see
0: what you yeah because they do a, a very clear thing to like oh he's not all bad either even though he's a criminal
1: well yeah. that too but also when they pull him out of prison like the camera focuses on like two books next to his bedside and yes, one is yes. like one is uh, it was
0: Shakespeare and, yeah, and the Art of War exactly, and suit. I was
1: like, "Oh fuck off, go fuck yourself." Yeah. This is what this is how you're explaining that Sean Connery, a former like SAS operative, is intelligent and well read. Go fuck yourself, Michael Bay.
0: Also, can can we talk about how he's essentially James Bond? He's essentially playing James Bond because they even talk about the thing that he did that got him in prison. He Well, he was a British Secret Service agent and the thing that he did get that got him in prison happened in 1962, the same year as Dr. No. I feel like that's yes, a very yeah. knowing nod and I and I like that. I like that little touch. Yeah, it's great. I, re- I really do like it. And I wish this was kind of in the
1: James Bond universe. It would be kind of funny.
0: It ends kind of like No Time to Die a little bit. It doesn't, but <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Cage... Tells the guy that it ended very similar to No Time to Die. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, I got yeah, you. That's yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I mean. Yeah. So before we even get to meet Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage gets called in to San Francisco by the FBI, and we get to meet Nicolas Cage's girlfriend who's pregnant, and Nicolas Cage wants to marry her and stuff, and he's like, uh. the
0: most half-assed uh, engagement ever. Where oh, she yes. Propose she proposes, or I think she tells him that. She's pregnant. He says something like, oh, he's not wild about having a kid. And then like 10 seconds later, she's like, will you marry me? And he's like, yeah, sure. Why not? He's like, like, well, I I
1: guess I have to, you know, I mean, I love you and I'm going to love this kid. So I guess I have to.
0: (laughs) You do not really get a sense that this is like a wonderful (laughs) relationship and these two should be married or that the marriage will last. But whatever. Also, this
1: movie has one of the most awful sex scenes I've ever seen in a movie in my life.
0: Well, it sounds like someone hasn't watched a lot of recent Steven Seagal movies. <laughs> fully clothed Steven Seagal with a woman 40 years younger than him. <laughs> so anyways,
1: the government calls in Cage. He's like, hey, you got to come to San Fran and help us with this VX gas situation. But as they're trying to figure out how to...
0: First of all, he is, like, an FBI agent or, like, was or something. There's, like, a weird— no, he, he, he pe- is. He's just—and,
1: like, he did training, but he's just yes. in, like, the chemical engineering right. department okay. or whatever. Yeah, or but like he's, he's not a field department. agent, but
0: he did, apparently, train for that a long time ago. Yeah, something. for,
1: like, three weeks or something. They, they mention later in the movie.
0: It's as much time as it takes Sean Connery to get out of bed in
1: 1996.
0: <laughs> oh, no. I, I like how often you see him— lightly jogging around the island
1: oh yes yeah yeah old man jogging (laughs) i
0: was surprised how much of that they showed because usually like if you got like an old actor and he's going to do action stuff you shoot around it
1: well there's a bit in the movie where you know he has to like roll through a bunch of fire and spinning blades like inside of a fucking video game and i like he puts like a knit cap on his head i'm like oh yeah if that catches fire that's sticking to your face good job mr Mm -hmm. connery
0: but also well it's for the stuntman exactly it's for the stuntman exactly. sure, right? stunt who's <laughs> rolling much
1: faster than sean connery rolls out of bed in the morning <laughs> yeah you know?
0: that reminded me that scene reminded me a bit of the last crusade like only the penitent man shall pass kind of like where he has to go through like a trial thing i i don't know it's just, just not really but whatever jehovah no, like starts Connery's with up. an i <laughs> nicholas cage doesn't have an h <laughs> The
1: FBI realizes, hey, we need Sean Connery to infiltrate Alcatraz because Sean Connery is the only person who has ever escaped from Alcatraz successfully. Yeah, But he's he's not known. Like he, he's like, he's essentially, uh, what am I trying his to say? Identity he, he doesn't is, exist. His
0: identity is, yeah, his identity has been erased. He's just been in prison for decades. Apparently he's escaped not only from Alcatraz, but from other prisons. Like Sam Quentin and stuff Times. like that. Mm-hmm. FBI director Jim Womack, who's played by John Spencer a.k.a. Leo McGarry from the West Wing. And, of course, we'll see another West Wing alumnus in The Cabin in the Woods. He is this, like, corrupt asshole who just doesn't like or trust Connery for, I mean, for good reason. But, you know, it's largely because of him that Connery officially doesn't exist.
1: Exactly, yeah. He's been put in prison because back in, like, 62, he stole J. Edgar Hoover's microfilm files on every U.S. secret from... (laughs) from the alien landings at Roswell to the real person that killed JFK. That's what they say. Yeah, in the
0: movie. It, it took us a long time for them to get to that detail because he's kept secretive for most of it. We just know he did something. But for most of the time, we just think, oh, he's just a criminal, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's probably two-thirds of the way in the movie that they finally reveal that, oh, he was a British spy and he stole all the stuff from J. Edgar Hoover. He stole... All the information that J. Edgar Hoover had, he probably yeah. stole his panties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he was caught at the Canadian border.
0: Those Mounties.
1: But he's hauled out of prison, and the FBI tries to uh, coerce him into helping them. They're not really explaining to Sean Connery what's going on, though. And then again, they pretend to release him from prison if he helps
0: them. They give him a pardon and then, if he agrees to help them, but then they also tear up the pardon. Exactly. The second he's not looking or whatever, you know.
1: But Nicolas Cage gets in and he starts promising Sean Connors. Like, oh, yeah, we'll get you a room at the Fairmont. We'll get you a cup of coffee. We'll get you whatever. Come on, just help us. So Sean Connery gets taken to a lovely hotel, the Fairmont, and he gets fed and he gets he gets a haircut shower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he gets a haircut from a lovely gay man.
0: Yeah, this is the worst stuff of the movie. There there's such a juvenile like, oh, it's funny because he's gay. It is kind of though. Thing. It's so no, it's not though. I mean it, oh it was bad. It I is bad. Like, it's like
1: it's that it's that sense of humor that died out about ten years ago, you
0: know? Yeah, you don't maybe Michael Bay would, but I think just most people wouldn't have this type of character in a movie. Like, do you remember Rush Hour Two? Uh, Of one of my all
1: time favorite fucking movies. Yeah. And the suit scene. Yes.
0: Yeah, this the scene in um Las Vegas when they go to get uh Jackie Chan a suit or whatever, they're meeting with Jeremy Piven and some other guy who are very clearly like exaggeratedly gay. Yes and it's the joke is that they're gay and they talk kind of funny and (laughs) Rush Hour Two was too much. This scene reminded me a lot of that scene in Rush Hour Two. And also doing the score. Hans Zimmer two people Nick Glennie Smith who I've never heard of and Hans Zimmer and there were numerous moments in this movie that really reminded me of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay,
1: score. okay, okay, okay. I have a gr- okay, I have a bone to pick with Hans Zimmer. I think he's the biggest fucking hack on the planet.
0: I've heard that from a few people actually and I don't really know why like i don't a lot of people think he's like amazing and then there's a lot of people that like say he's a fraud who doesn't even do his own scores and stuff i've heard if you if you watch any fucking
1: movie patrick made before pirates of the caribbean and and han zimmer is doing the score for it you will hear an almost pirates of the caribbean score
0: you know what the weird part about that is is that you know the pirates of the caribbean theme it's like a super famous theme still the original Pirates of the Caribbean movie, The Curse of the Black Pearl, the score is not actually by Hans Zimmer. And that that music, that Pirates theme has been associated with Hans Zimmer because he did the score for all the sequels, but the original score for The Curse of the Black Pearl was by Klaus Badelt, or Badelt, who's also a German guy. Sounds like Hans I'm Zimmer's... Sure
1: pseudonym or something like that yeah well he is a
0: different person i did click on that to make sure it's not a uh pseudonym but um i'm I'm sure he he was probably like hans zimmer's protege or something but i but i thought that was interesting that the so much of this sounded like pirates music but like wait a second he didn't even technically do the pirate score he probably had a a big influence on it, especially because he did the, the sequels. But there's
1: a video, it's at like some awards show, and a woman walks up to Hans Zimmer, who's sitting down at the piano, and she goes, Oh my god, you're so amazing! And he's like, Yeah, well, you know, I just kind of do this with the keys, and he just starts playing like some random, terrible, out of tune <laughs> music. And the woman's like, that's amazing. He's like, yeah, it just came right out of my head right now, you know? You know? Yeah. And she goes, well, that's so amazing, and Mr. Zimmer. goes, yeah, I mean, some call me a protege back in the 70s, and now I'm the master. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're just yeah, no, no, dribbling I, I, the keys.
0: Again, I, I don't have this disdain for Hans Zimmer that you apparently do, and I some am. of my friends do. But Hans Zimmer's scores tend to be very maximalist. Yeah. And that wears on you after a while like you know it can be good i thought his work for the dune movie was really good but you kind of you watch a a movie and it's like oh it's a score by Hans Zimmer and it's just like loud and big and and it i mean it fits a michael bay movie to be perfectly fair Mm -hmm. but it can kind of just get tiring
1: yeah no again the score in this movie is fine like you're not listening to the or you're not watching this movie for the score
0: no, you're watching this for sexy Sean Connery. Oh taking my god! A I
1: got okay. I have interesting factoid number two coming up later. Oh, How there's a that? gay
0: panic joke about Sean Connery being raped in prison. There's a joke about okay. that. thank so, you, Michael Bay. You're exactly, and that's what
1: I want to talk about. But we'll get to that in a bit. Going back to this gay man, best law. One of the best lines in the movie. <laughs> he comes in and they're like, "Are you the barber?" And he says, "No, I'm the."
0: no i'm the stylist and they're like he's the he barber did, he, send him in <laughs> he, he, he 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 does a little like a no like a darling like yeah a, yeah and does know, like a little like flourish that, with his hand you know <laughs> yeah yeah not that you can see me but i was doing the thing with the <laughs> hand. yes i was doing that <laughs> uh, <laughs> can you see me is this camera on? yes i can yeah oh i should probably put clothes on
1: but yeah so sean connery gets his hair cut he gets cleaned up and then what, what's 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 the fbi director's name again in this movie
0: John Spencer's the actor. I don't remember. Uh, Let me look. Uh, Womack. Womack? Jim Womack. I like how, from Alcatraz, by the way, Ed Harris dials one number and is connected directly to the FBI (laughs) 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 director. (laughs) <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I didn't yeah, even put great. him on hold
1: or anything <laughs> i
0: know it'd be one thing if they were buddies and he's like calling his cell phone or something but no he like gets connected to langley or something i don't i don't get it but that's well and again this movie
1: just kind of does things to make the plot work even though like sure you
0: know it doesn't really
1: make sense but it just it, it continues the plot after sean connery gets all cleaned up he he throws womack off the off the roof of the of the hotel and he's dangling him from like a cord and then he hands womack off to nicholas cage and then sean connery escapes into a big black hummer and takes and off the
0: escape is made possible by him distracting all the other fbi guys with food with- <laughs> <laughs> with with snacks because yeah. he when he yeah. was taking a shower he called room service and somehow that worked these guys suck yeah but he gets in a humvee nick cage hijacks a ferrari
1: one of the coolest chase scenes ever because you're going down the san francisco streets it's a
0: bit strong it's a it's a good cool it's a cool chase scene but i mean well, You're right. I, the Good use of the San Francisco, like you see the cars kind of going up in the air on some of those hills and stuff. That's, that's always good.
1: Well, there's also like every uh, trope, every like chase scene trope known to man in this, where as soon as Sean Connery takes off down an alleyway in his Hummer, like 10 seconds after he gets it, he knocks over like a fruit stand.
0: He almost hits an old lady taking no yeah. time crossing the street.
1: Yeah. And he drives into old a water lady, truck. She's
0: probably 10 years younger than him. But, I know. Yeah. You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He drives into a water truck. He drives through a bunch of cars. He drives over cars. And
0: and he's doing this to try and block the cops that are chasing. It's not like he's doing this because he doesn't know how to drive. (laughs) Yeah, because he's driving on the wrong side of the road. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say that, yeah. But uh, he's doing this to create some space. But it's fun. It's exhilarating. The editing is a little... Hectic. Disorienting, but, you know... My favorite part about this chase scene, though, is shows like this trolley and then
1: like this black uh, trolley conductor guy. He goes, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? And then it cuts to Sean Connery and he sees an old woman in the road and he swerves and he hits the trolley. And the guy goes, holy shit. (laughs) Like it cuts back to the trolley guy. He's like, holy shit. It just comes off the rails and starts sliding down the street. (laughs) It was like five seconds of normality for this guy on like a Monday morning, you know? (laughs)
0: Well, he doesn't even get it worse because he's I mean, he like he gets out of the trolley after it's capsized, but other people are like thrown from the trolley while it's moving <laughs> yeah, he's and, and then he's
1: like jump out of the trolley, save yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how, but like the trolley gets caught on fire or like hits a bunch of cars and it gets caught on fire and then it explodes and shoots straight yeah, it up explodes. into the air.
0: I also like the bit where Nick Cage, as he's trying to swerve and avoid all this stuff, he sets the airbag off. And then as the trolley is sliding towards his car, thus going to make it explode, because that's how vehicles work in Michael Bay movies, <laughs> he has to get out of the car. So he has to shoot the uh, airbag, which is yeah. which is fun. I, <laughs> yeah. I've never seen that before in a movie where someone someone is trapped by an airbag and they have to shoot it. <laughs>
1: I also like when he gets out of the Ferrari and it gets crushed by the trolley. There's like this, like, like, San Fran stoner dude with like a dirt bike or something. And he's like, whoa, man, your Ferrari got crushed. And Nicolas Cage goes, it's not mine. And neither is this. FBI and just throws the kid off the yeah. bike. <laughs> but Mason started this, cra- or Sean Connery, pardon me, started this whole crazy chase just to have a bit of time with his daughter, who we learn is like 40 years younger than him. And he knocked up this poor girl's mother when he escaped After Led Zeppelin con- Yeah 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 <laughs> when he escaped from prison one night <laughs> and then was And she's away. dead
0: now the mother's dead She was assassinated at the end of Honor Majesty's Secret Service.
1: But yeah, so he just wanted to kind of touch base with his daughter. And instead of being hauled away in chains by the FBI, Nicolas Cage kind of does him a solid. And he goes, oh, your father's working with the FBI, uh, yada, yada, Mm -hmm. yada. Come on, Mason, come with me. And Sean Connery thanks him for being such a cool dude. Yeah,
0: this is really the first hint at like these guys might be able to kind of work together yeah but then after this he, for 20
1: minutes sean connery's just shitting all over nicholas cage and everything he does
0: oh <laughs> a, a little bit a little bit it, it's not quite a, it's not as bad as the interrogation scene
1: oh yes yeah yeah that was that was rough
0: which we didn't we, we didn't mention this but there's a really strange part of that interrogation scene when the interrogation's over and sean connery breaks the oh, yeah. one way mirror and yeah. looks in and He's sees that Womack. it's Womack.
1: i knew it was you you fucking yeah. shit or something like that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that, Which, that was that was strange. That was again going back to this is one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen. I've never seen someone just break an interrogation. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: it was awesome though. It was awesome, and
0: nothing came of it too. That's, no, exactly. You'd think he would have seen that the pardon was ripped in half or something because that's the scene when they rip it in half. But he didn't notice that
1: yet. No, no there's too many glass shards in his eyeballs uh, <laughs> sure. to see that.
0: And the one you abandon
1: becomes your only hope you go talk to him me yeah hi uh, i'm an agent with the uh, F- fbi i'm stanley goodspeed but of course you are so now that they have mason and nicholas cage on board the fbi is getting prepared to infiltrate alcatraz they have to take mason though they weren't originally going to they're gonna throw him back in jail but they have to take him because he pretends he doesn't remember how to make it into the prison itself and uh nicholas cage originally wasn't planning on going but they were like no 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 no! you have to disarm these rockets which first off you think they would be sending him to like neutralize these like th- the gas things which are like they look really cool they're like these balls on rope yeah and instead of neutralizing the gas Nicolas cage has to go and neutralize the rockets by taking microchips out of their guidance system so they just crash into the ocean and presumably kill all the fish
0: yeah yeah i agree there, there's probably a Better way to actually disable them, but whatever.
1: They get on a helicopter, they drop into the ocean, they swim through the drainage pipe, and they come up into a locked room where, like I mentioned earlier, Sean Connery lets everybody out of this locked room by rolling through a fire maze.
0: (laughs) This whole sequence here reminds me a lot of aliens. The guy in command is Michael Bean, who's in Aliens. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if he's the one in command in Aliens. He might be. I think he's the one in command after a few people die, but everyone's feed can be seen over at the FBI headquarters or whatever so it's Womack and it's whatever William Forsyth's character's name are are like they're like watching everything
1: and much like aliens they're also helpless when bad things happen like for instance all of the marines break into the shower room and they accidentally trigger like a motion sensor. No,
0: damn it! These are the seals. Sorry, the seals. The Marines are the bad guys. The you're right. Seals you're are the
1: right. Oh, well, the seals break into the shower room <laughs> through the sewers, and they accidentally trip a motion sensor that one of the Marines, John C. McGinley, sets. They get ambushed by Ed Harris and his crew. Ed Harris, you can tell, is kind of like trying to talk everybody down. And the head, uh, this the head guy of of the seals, Michael Bean he's trying to talk ed harris down but then like a like a brick falls and then everybody just starts shooting at each other <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: in this... and ed, ed harris is trying to get a ceasefire immediately but yeah you, but... basically everyone here is killed it's just three people nick cage and sean connery who are still underground and then some other guy yeah who eventually goes up during the middle of this fight and gets killed
1: yeah it gets shot in the head and then falls back down the ladder
0: a noble effort though I well mean, i guess of... so sure I'd ill-advised but noble. yeah
1: yeah some might call it stupid but you know not me because after everybody gets killed mason just decides to flat out leave to just escape and go on the run but nicholas cage is he's trying to convince him to stay and take out the rockets and all the baddies and because nicholas cage is talking to sean connery so loudly the marines find them in the sewers and try to blow them up connery and cage stumble upon a stash of i think 12 rockets and they neutralize all of them by taking the microchips out. Only after neutralizing two Marines with <laughs> a knife to the throat, thrown by Sean Connery, mm-hmm. and then an air conditioner to the head, <laughs> shot by Sean Connery.
0: Yeah, Sean Connery does basically all the all the fighting. Nick Cage, is, though he has some training, he's mainly just a suit.
1: Yeah, and then the movie becomes like a like a weird minecart adventure movie briefly.
0: Yeah, this was strange.
1: They kind of fall into a shaft and into a minecart, and then the Marines start chasing them, and they just have, like, a wacky minecart, mine shaft shenanigan adventure.
0: Where Sean Connery sets someone on fire, which is... John C. McGinley, and then he drowns him. I always love a good fire stunt.
1: And, you know, the Marines are shooting these steel minecarts and not killing Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery, who are hiding in them.
0: And Nick Cage kills his first man he saves sean connery's life here
1: he does exactly and then sean connery at this point was like i can trust this guy he's still a little bitch but i can trust this yeah you know (laughs) but
0: he's my little bitch at this point also you said we were going to get to it but we, we skipped the sean connery
1: oh i thought it came just uh, after this.
0: raped in raped in prison joke no it's when the other people are still alive but, okay yes well, the, well that other line too but okay I, yeah well I, well the raped in I prison, prison joke let's gonna... let's
1: let's back up yeah. to that. well hold on now before you say anything before I, say, I have i have interesting factoid trivia number two
0: is it that sean connery was actually raped in prison
1: no sean connery this movie came out in 1996 sean yeah. connery was in his mid-60s Mm-hmm. In nineteen eighty nine he won Time magazine's Sexiest Man of the Year. And he still holds the what? record for oldest, sexiest man of the year. What? But why? Why did he win that? I don't know. I People know. <laughs> thought he was super sexy. So maybe the prison rape thing, maybe there is no like, you know, he was right. People are super into him. They might well, not be now. Not in but... nineteen
0: ninety six though. Well, he's dead now if you're into necrophilia, maybe, uh. but um, <laughs> yeah so the line is he says something about like how he's enjoying this and he's like "Well, it's better than my average day you know reading philosophy and trying not to get raped in in the showers or something he's like it's a little easier than it used to be perhaps i've lost my sex appeal yeah and i was like why are we joking about this (laughs) this
1: is weird this is stupid i know i know i
0: did laugh but i'm like this is very stupid i I more laugh just because it's like they gave 65-year-old film icon Sean Connery that line to read, you know? But do you feel I like, more like he kind of enjoyed that?
1: reading it out, though, out loud? You know oh, right? yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, maybe it was improv, too, for all we know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah, your, your favorite Sean Connery line also happens before this because it happens when there's some kind of conflict between the two of them. They're the only two heroes surviving. But
1: yeah, and then, he,
0: you know, Connery's like, listen, if we're going to do this, like, you got to be ready.
1: Yeah, he, he,
0: he essentially says, you got to man up.
1: Stop being such a little bitch. And Nicolas Cage says something to the effect of, well, I'll try my best. And then Sean Connery yeah. says, you're best losers always whine about their best winners go home and fuck the prom queen
0: <laughs> very very strange line <laughs> is that a famous line or is that only famous to you because you've brought that up to me frequently but i don't, I think I don't know if it's I just think like people, a line that stuck out to you
1: i think people know the line i think it's a pretty odd line
0: it is a very odd line sure yes
1: but yeah that's the best winners go home and fuck the prom queen but eventually Connery and Cage decide to split up because Nicolas Cage has to find like the last three rockets, I think.
0: Yeah. Three more rockets. They, he talks to them on the PA or, or maybe gets them on the walkie talkie, but he's threatening one of the hostages at this point point. Yeah, and yeah. says, why do you need to just come back and give me your, the microchips or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so Connery decides to go and distract him or delay him while Nick Cage goes and finds the other rockets.
1: I think Nicholas Cage finds one and he manages to disarm it and, and and he breaks a microchip but he gets captured. He gets into a bit of a tussle and he gets captured by two of Ed Harris's guys. Sean Connery kind of just gives himself up to Ed Harris. He, he doesn't really surrender. I assume he had some other kind of a plan.
0: I think this pretty much goes to the plan that he intends. I think I think he well I mean if he can talk Ed Harris down from doing this obviously, you know, it's worth a shot, but I think he's expecting to be thrown in a prison cell and just escape again like he's done so many times, you know?
1: I guess something else that we didn't mention was they have like a couple shots of like a countdown where Ed Harris has given the American government like 48 hours to bring them 100 million. And by the time that they get dropped off in the ocean to infiltrate Alcatraz, I think they've got like 15 hours left. So, when we next see Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage, they're in separate prison cells and they only have 52 minutes until Ed Harris fires off these rockets into San Francisco. And Sean Connery ties a bunch of bed sheets together and lets himself out of his cell and then lets Nicolas Cage out. And Sean Connery again decides, I'm fucking over this, I'm just leaving, I'm gonna split, see ya. And Nicholas Cage is again trying to convince him to stay, and Nicolas Cage gets captured at gunpoint. Again, and Sean Connery returns and saves him.
0: Again. Yeah, a little repetitive at this point.
1: The countdown timer runs out. The American government is asking for another hour, and Ed Harris goes, No, I'm gonna fire a rocket. And all of his goons under him kind of pressure him into firing a rocket. You can tell Ed Harris. Yeah, he's still very hesitant,
0: yeah. So he fires a rocket towards like a stadium in like Oakland or something, right? it could have been candlestick park or something yeah I'd, it could be the Oco coliseum i don't remember
1: and then at the last second he diverts the rocket and it crashes into the ocean and all of ed harris's underlings which by this point there's like a handful uh, it's tony todd some other
0: guy and morse david morse or whatever oh the, the 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 real crazy guy i think that guy's in shawshank isn't he i have no clue i don't think i've ever seen that guy before
1: well, M- Morse and Harris have uh, a bit of a disagreement and Morse is like, look, ask for more time. Everybody's falling apart here. You're falling apart. Ed Harris is disagreeing with him. And then Tony Todd and his crazy buddy
0: kind of stage a mutiny. Tony Todd has a good point where he's like, we're not soldiers. We're the second we signed up for this, we became mercenaries. So yeah. it's like we were there's no going back from this. And he's 100 percent right. I mean, Absolutely. What, what's Ed Harris going to do if there isn't a mutiny here, you know?
1: And throughout the movie, Ed Harris is comparing himself to the founding American fathers.
0: Yeah, because they also committed treason.
1: Yeah, but shooting toxic gas on a bunch of civilians is a little different than, you know, staging a revolution against the British monarchy. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. You're right.
0: right. It's it's far less justifiable or far more justifiable, excuse me, because because the American Revolution wasn't against the monarchy primarily. That was just a it was good PR from Thomas Jefferson and company because everything they complained about was not the fault of the king. The king cannot raise taxes. The last time a king raised taxes, he got fucking beheaded. That is true. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, it was, they, their their gripes were with parliament, but they recognize also, hang on, this sounds better. If we, if, if, if we say it's against an unelected government official, brilliant PR move. (laughs)
1: brilliant pr move
0: ed ed harris could have used some of that pr some of that thomas jefferson pr let's be honest yeah well (laughs) because because you can't really see how he's getting people on board here even though he does have you know somewhat of a somewhat of a thing he's got his own little following you know also he's he's a little bit if i'm not mistaken he's a little bit similar not that michael bay would know this but he's kind of similar to benedict arnold benedict arnold was like ed harris was a great american hero Mm -hmm. there was like a lot of reasons why he turned sides but among them was he felt his men weren't properly compensated and i don't think it was in the case of like we didn't get military funerals i mean what the hell was a military funeral back when there was barely an organized military but it was more like no my men who are still alive are just not getting paid what what they should be when you're sending us on these dangerous missions so i'm just gonna go fight for the british i guess
1: ed harris he loses his pr campaign here to tony todd because they get into a bit of a firefight and david morris is killed and ed harris is shot in the gut and sean connery comes in with a submachine gun and is like fighting off tony todd and everybody else and uh, nicholas cage Pulls Ed Harris out and he just starts yelling at him, Where's the last rocket? Where's the last rocket? And Ed Harris says it's in the lighthouse and then dies. So sean connery is off doing his own thing and nicholas cage runs to this rocket and he, he successfully takes the microchip out but as soon as he does that
0: the order must be a little bit wrong too and i, I i'm not uh, uh, sure I where where we where the second rocket where we made a mistake but there was a rocket that was inside that he fired at oh, tony todd no, that's,
1: that's coming up that, that's the last rocket
0: oh oh no is that in the lighthouse okay yeah. maybe you're right yeah
1: because okay. that's because that's the best death in this movie
0: it's it's well it's so stupid. It's like, "Hey, do you like the Elton John song Rocket Man?" <laughs> and just It's such like an obvious setup and it's like, you know, Arnold could have delivered this with a bit more class, he but I'll take yeah. it. It's so dumb.
1: Yeah, well like the rocket hits Tony Todd in the gut and carries him out the window <laughs> and then he falls and lands on uh, like a dilapidated fence and it impales him
0: i also like when tony todd was confronting him he just put down the gun and takes out his knife and is like here it's like you know what i trust tony todd with a knife i think he knows what he's doing in all those horror movies <laughs> and stuff <laughs> he, he looks better with a knife in his hand than a gun anyways yeah. or actually he looks best with a hook though like in Candyman. yes or like, whatever. yeah
1: so there's a few guys kind of milling about, and again, Sean Connery's out and about killing people, and Tony Todd's buddy, the crazy guy, starts chasing Nicolas Cage throughout this lighthouse, and again, Cage takes out the microchip, and he drops one of, like, these gas capsules, and eventually, this bad guy's on top of him, and Nicolas Cage shoves his capsule in his mouth and pops it, and the guy yeah. dies Yeah, Th- this slow... is, I
0: think, is the Shawshank guy, but I'm not sure.
1: And he, he does a slow, painful, awful, terrible, horrible death- but I guess we also forgot to set this up because there's so many things going on in this movie.
0: Well, hang on. Hang on. There's also I, – I know what you're going to get to. You're yes. going to get to the airstrike, yeah. but – Sean Connery's big climactic fight here is with a guy who's like, Oh, screw you, you English prick or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, Did I tell you that my family was Irish or something? <laughs> and then Sean Connery ends up overpowering him and like choking him with the chain. And for some reason they didn't have him say like, I'm Scottish, you know? Like yeah, why wouldn't would you ch- have that it was so obvious to just let him say that like as he's killing him or something?
1: Exactly. Like, well also ear- earlier in the movie. They, maybe Michael they said Bay said doesn't know the Alaska. difference. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's
0: it, right? Connery, as famous as he is, he's like the most famous Scottish person ever.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Why? Why don't you? Why don't you give him that triumphant moment of being like, you know, have have like a in Skyfall when the um the guy that was supposed to be Sean Connery, the old Albert Finney guy, the old groundskeeper, when he shoots that guy and he goes, "Welcome to Scotland." Yeah. You know, give Sean (laughs) Connery a moment like that. (laughs) Yeah. Huge missed opportunity. If you're going to have a guy have to point out that he's Irish and he hates the English, give Sean Connery the chance to say, I'm not English, you fucking idiot. You know, <laughs> it's just like, come on.
1: Yeah. Can't you hear me? <laughs> yeah. I like after they film that scene, Michael Bay is like, where Sean Connery's like, you know, I'm Scottish. He goes, bah, Scottish, English. What's the difference?
0: Yeah, Same
1: thing. Yeah. Move out. We're going to do an explosion.
0: <laughs> that man knows his audience. You yeah, know. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Near, Actually, I guess kind of near-ish the beginning of the movie, they were talking about if people couldn't disarm these warheads, these rockets or whatever, they were going to have to send in a bunch of jets to drop these, like, untested thermite bombs on Alcatraz to destroy the rockets and destroy the poison.
0: Which would get all of the mutinous marines killed but also kill all the civilians yeah. which at this point it's like whatever. Yeah, fuck ranger Bob or whatever your name is.
1: <laughs> yeah. Another thing too was th- they explained that if the mission is a success you got to light these green flares. So it looks like the mission isn't going to be a success. They scramble these jets. But right at the last second, you know, Nicholas Cage disarms the last rocket and he lights these green flares after he's stabbed himself in the heart cuz he was the th- the poison got on him or whatever i assume is
0: that is that what that was yeah because that was strange because it looked like he just stabbed himself and i assume it had something to do with the poison but yeah because if you get too close to the poison translate in in film that way yeah
1: earlier they were given needles and it's like if you get close to this poison you got to stab yourself in the heart to save yourself because you got like 20 seconds or something
0: i guess i forgot that line so I he, forgot that line because of the prom queen line and yeah. all these other weird <laughs> lines that stuck out About being raped me. in the bathroom, yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: So Nicolas Cage lights these flares and it's awesome slow-mo kind of thing of Nicolas Cage waving these flares. All these jets are flying under the Golden Gate Bridge. Just as it looks like everything's going to be called off, which it is, the lead jet accidentally drops his payload. And he goes, Oh shit, I've already dropped it! No! <laughs> and like there's this huge cool thermite explosion on the island. But luckily... Because he dropped it so high or whatever, it missed. It hit the backside of the island. None of the civilians were killed. Sean Connery wasn't killed. Nicholas Cage wasn't killed.
0: None of the civilians are killed, but we don't. We never really verify that. When when they ask Cage, like, is was that is anyone killed? And he's like, no, no civilians were harmed. It's like he never checked <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah yeah He's like, nah, they're fine whatever <laughs> maybe they all starved to death in the i know, I know. they were in there for two days like th- those we never see them again those people might be dead <laughs> we don't know.
1: but the, well the best part is you know when as you kind of pointed out earlier nicholas cage is standing there the fbi guys come up and they're like where's mason and nicholas cage says oh he was incinerated yeah and blown out to sea and uh, uh what's his name uh william forsyth is that his name
0: uh for the one with the mustache yeah
1: he he kinda gets it. He's like looking at Nicolas Cage. He's like, Ah, yes, I see he was incinerated and yeah. blown up. Yeah, he's scene. like,
0: Oh yeah, that that does happen when when uh when uh Leo well, McGarry up, yeah. from the West Wing is like, wait, wait a second. That, that doesn't just happen for us. So it's like, no, yeah, yeah. it happens. Like, it, <laughs> it, yeah. it happens.
1: After they're satisfied with that response, Nicolas Cage meets up with Sean Connery. And Sean Connery's like, well, this is it. This is where we part ways, man. I'm fucking getting yeah, this, out This
0: is before. This is before that.
1: Oh yes, yeah. I've, yeah. I'm seeing yes. there's so many crazy things going on in this movie. I can't keep track of it all.
0: I thought this was going to be like a Shawshank moment, where because he tells him like he's like somewhere Kansas, like Fort something, Kansas. Yeah. Fort- and I thought he was going to tell him like, "Hey, meet me there," but no, he's telling him that's where the film is or the microfiche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's where, <laughs> that's that's where J. Edgar's panties are. Exactly. exactly.
1: Yeah. He's like it's it's in. <laughs> it's just a great yeah then sean Connery disappears and the the movie really ends with Nicolas cage and his new wife his new pregnant wife
0: they also have a beautiful english bulldog oh did he's great yeah
1: do you think they're gonna name him sean <laughs> he's not a scottish yeah, bulldog he was, damn it yeah because
0: he was english yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> maybe nick cage doesn't know the difference
1: nick cage is running out of this little church in the middle of buttfuck nowhere kansas with a leg off a pew and in it is like all the microfilm of you know <laughs> just all, like all the stuff that's like that the american government has wanted to hide from like 1930 mm-hmm. to 1960 or whatever mm-hmm. it ends with Nicolas cage saying honey do you want to know who really killed jfk and then that's it yeah, that's that's the rock so patrick <laughs> what'd you think of well, the rock? i wanted
0: i wanted to, i want to discuss the ending okay who do you think killed JFK? In the context of the movie, was it Connery? Maybe
1: I, I don't. think Probably so.
0: not. I'm just. I just think like you know it'd be kind of fun if James Bond killed Kennedy.
1: <laughs> I, at first, at first, I thought that's what they were like leading to. Like the first time, I ever Kennedy's. Saw this movie.
0: I think. I think I read somewhere that Kennedy loved the Bond movies. Like he obviously only saw the first two. <laughs> so that'd be kind of fun if 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 they're like, oh, by the way, James Bond killed him.
1: <laughs> Dude, that would be great. Well, and also too. As you mentioned, like it's never stated that I mean, obviously for legal purposes, he's not James Bond, but he totally is, right? Like, there's no way that whoever was writing this movie didn't. I think. mean, he's
0: he's a British Secret Service guy. They're trying to imply it as many ways as they can. With the, the the 62 line is definitely a bit more of a subtle one, but like, if you know your James Bond history, 62 is the first James Bond film. The first time Sean Connery played that role. Yeah, I mean, I I, I just think that's fun, you know. Yeah, but what's your takeaways from this? As I said earlier, I think this is one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen, <laughs> but I also don't mean it in a bad way because I was entertained. You know, while while it's certainly not a movie to make you think, I like that they do the, the thing with Ed Harris where he's not completely just an evil bastard. Mm-hmm. Tony Todd's kind of an evil bastard, which, you know, Tony Todd in real life, or not in real life, <laughs> but in all of his other movies, I guess it, it fits. He's probably a wonderful man. I don't know, but and you know like, like he he's definitely got some underlings that are just evil mm-hmm. but at the same time he's trying to de-escalate he doesn't want to he feels bad that they had to kill all these guys and he also doesn't really want to fire the rockets but he was also and this is just like a movie thing like i guess he was just dumb enough to believe the american government would actually give him the money yeah i like it i i think my favorite scene is probably the car chase just oh, the fantastic. sheer amount of dumb explosions and it looks so much better because it's on the streets of San Francisco, which mm-hmm. are unusually steep, and you get some fun just action stuff there, and obviously the streetcar, you know, all the gun action. It, it, none of it's spectacular, but you know, it, it it it's it's fun, and I and I like the Nick Cage Connery dynamic. I like their little back and forth. I think it it gets a little repetitive towards the end because I think there's because as you were pointing out there's basically two times Sean Connery leaves and then he obviously comes back each time you think they should have like had this moment where like Connery doesn't want anything to do with them, and then Nick Cage saves him li- saves his life in the Donkey Kong uh, minecart chase <laughs> and then they should probably be good from there on out yeah. and they're still not like we still have the kind of backtracking later on but I like those two actors together I think they're a lot of fun Connery is definitely my favorite actor in the movie, not because it's a great performance, but just he's fun. I like the interrogation scene with the two of them too. I like, you know, he's like, "We got to get you a haircut," and because at the time Connery has these really, this really long hair. And he's like, "Why are my out of style?" And he's like, "Well, not not if you're not if you're in one of those like uh, grunge bands in Seattle." And then, which by the way, in '96, I think I think that's an out of date reference. In '96, I could oh, be probably. wrong, but. And then, so later on, when he's getting the haircut from the the gay stylist, he's like, "Ooh, they've done a number on you." And he's like, "It's a grunge thing." <laughs> <laughs> and so there's, I don't know. Connery yeah. is just really fun in this movie, and I think that's.
1: I also love. That's
0: probably what you're gonna say because you're just a big, you're a Connery nut.
1: I, I were, am. I love Sean Connery. I used to have a photo of him up above my desk, but I threw it out recently, unfortunately.
0: Too many stains on it.
1: <laughs> exactly. How'd you know? I also love how angry he gets in this movie at people. And by angry, I mean, I like how much he swears at people in this movie. He's calling people like fucking assholes and pieces of shit Yeah, (laughs) because
0: how many rated R Sean Connery movies have you seen? Not too many because, you know, when he was a younger man, obviously, they didn't swear in movies like that. And then like Indiana Jones and, you know, it's PG-13. Yeah, I haven't seen him in too many R-rated movies. So I agree. That was kind of fun. And, you know, we all know scots people love swearing so you know it's only fitting (laughs) yeah or excuse me english people yes english people
1: yes let's not get them confused i'm not gonna say it's a fantastic action movie i think it's exciting sure i might even call it exhilarating in some scenes yeah it is a big dumb loud action movie like i said at the beginning of this Sure. It's just fun to watch. There's a,
0: there's a time and a place for big dumb action movies. I'm not above it. You're not above it. No. Nobody should be above it if it's done well enough, or and it has good enough actors and stuff. And I think this movie pulls that off.
1: Yeah. Now, is the action great in this movie? Not all the time, but the actors not really, are great. No. You know, the story is fun. The setting is very fun. A uh, dilapidated Alcatraz
0: yeah that goes a long way it really does also cage nothing amazing but he has some good weird line deliveries there where if you're like a big nick cage fan you'll get something out of his performance here yes definitely. yeah if well, you the- if you enjoy the weird nick cage this this is far from the weirdest nick Cage performance it's not even as out there as face off obviously but you know he he still gives you a little bit there
1: yeah, but uh, I love this movie. I think it's a fun movie to watch. This movie also is kind of like the last of an era for action movies. It's stupid, full of explosions, full of ridiculous weapons.
0: Yeah, like oh, ridiculous weapons, You just the bombs. I mean, the guns—they're not using like no. Yeah, you're guns right. from Doom or anything like that. You know,
1: the weapon of
0: mass destruction is stupid. <laughs>
1: You know, it looks sure. it looks like it's, it's straight
0: out of a Bond movie to be perfectly honest. It is,
1: yeah. And I feel like you don't really get action movies like this anymore or you haven't for like at least the last 10 15 years. Now it's all Marvel shit, you know.
0: Yeah, but it's it's Marvel or it's Mission Impossible. There's there's not there's not, there's not much of a middle ground. <laughs> But this, Occas- every every three or four years, we'll get a James Bond movie. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise it's Marvel and, and Tom Cruise. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, but this one we had two greats, Sean Connery, Nick Cage, and other greats all thrown into the mix. And yeah, I like the
0: br- the bridging of the eras. And this is really what I mean. That's what Last Crusade is kind of all about. Is how can we have Indiana Jones interact with an elderly James Bond? <laughs> and that's kind of. <laughs> That's largely the appeal of that movie. But at the same time, elderly James Bond, he's a comedy character in that. He doesn't really do a lot of action scenes. He unfolds an umbrella and scares some seagulls into a plane. That's kind of like his big action scene, right? This movie, he's he's an old man, but he's got action stuff to do and we're pairing him with a young, modern action star, you know, Nick Cage, he was, like, the action star of the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, before maybe Keanu Reeves and, you know, some others took over. I Yeah, it was just bridging that gap of, like, we're bringing in a, an elderly washed-up action hero, <laughs> we're pairing him with this younger guy, but we're still going to have the elderly guy be mo- the more badass one, which is kind of fun. Yeah. It's, like, the opposite of Last Crusade. Yeah and yeah it's it's a lot of fun and it's they have that mix it's not all elderly people it's not the expendables where it's just like kind of pathetic and sad or the steven seagal movies (laughs) but (laughs) but but it's like so i i just like that i like the i I think this movie i don't think there's a single performance in this film that i'm like oh my god this is great but i think the actors do kind of make it in in the way And, and maybe it's just more than the performance, is like the casting. Like, it's just good casting to get all these people, get all these credible actors to play the villains, whether it's Tony Todd or David Morse or John C. McGinley or obviously Ed Harris. I mean, we've got the West Wing's chief of staff as the head of the <laughs> FBI. Like, that's awesome. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And be, I guess before we move on, because I don't really have anything else to say about it, I enjoyed this movie a lot. It's one of my favorite action movies.
0: I don't love this movie nearly as much as you do, but I like it yeah i would watch it again this isn't going to be one of those action movies that i like watch time and time again by any means but i enjoy it i i do not regret having seen it again and you know it's it's no face off but it's good
1: i think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't enjoy this movie this is a pretty crowd-pleasing
0: film i think oh yeah it's a, it's a crowd pleaser sure
1: but before we move on to our next movie, Patrick, I was just thinking, you were talking about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and what I brought up earlier was that Sean Connery won Sexiest Man Alive in 1989, and that was the Fresh same off year. Of that
0: movie, yeah. Yeah. Women were watching that movie, and it's like, oh, you know, Harrison Ford, pretty good looking, but that Sean Connery, his dad, man. <laughs> I mean...
1: That's always the way it goes, isn't it? The son's attractive, I, was the Was John Rhys-Davies
0: number two in that list? <laughs>
1: Oh, I'd put him up there.
0: John Rhys Davies is sexier when he's a dwarf, though.
1: Let's
0: <laughs> okay, so let's talk the cabin in the woods. Like I said earlier, uh, 2011. It was at the. I'm. I, I just. I'm going to draw attention to this festival because I. I just hate the name of it. I hate what it is. Um, <laughs> you don't even know what I'm talking about, but it's just fine. <laughs> but it was shown at the 2011 Butt Numathon. What? <laughs> which well there's a few things to say about this first of all it this was held in Austin Texas i believe at the Alamo Drafthouse. House Harry Knowles who is or was or is or is kind of a movie critic he ran a news a movie news website he's one of the weirdest looking people i've ever seen and thankfully he's been canceled <laughs> um for for some accusations against him but i i i never knew much about this guy but Sometime after he was canceled, I saw a movie. I read a movie review that he wrote of some, I think, Guillermo del Toro movie. I can't remember which one it was. And he should have been canceled just for that. That was the worst thing I've ever read. It was like, I I guess he was like friends with del Toro in real life. And he talked about like, oh, yeah, this is like watching a good friend of yours just like fuck a hot woman. And like, this is a movie review. What is this? It was (laughs) the strangest thing I'd ever read. But yeah, Harry Knowles, genuine creep. We should have known just from how we wrote, apparently. But yeah, he's cancelled. But he hosted in Austin, Texas for a few years the but numb a which was a oh, okay. movie festival that was like it was supposed to be like I don't know, it was twenty four hours straight of movies, but like yeah, I get it I but get the numb joke. because you're sitting down. But but like it's just I hate that name and I hate, because Cabin of the Woods is a pretty good movie, but we have to say that it premiered at the 2011 But Numathon, but also worth bringing up Harry Knowles because Joss Whedon is also canceled now. He is the co-writer and the producer of this film. Why is he canceled? What did he do? Uh, he's just an asshole to people. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I think, I, I don't think there was anything specific about him being I, well it's weird because he his ex-wife tried to get him cancelled like kind of in the early days of the post weinstein era okay and her reasoning was that he cheated on her and then I think people kind of collectively looked at that and said like I mean that sucks but that's not really what we're trying to do with this canceling people right and <laughs> you know it's, it's kind of like like a lot of people cheat but then a few <laughs> but then a few years later more information came out. Shit. that like on the set of Buffy he apparently in his writers rooms was just awful to women and he liked making them cry at their writers meetings and stuff like this and then also there was like some weird stuff about some of the actresses that worked on his shows were which they they were like told told like stay away from him he's a creep like oh, there was no. a an actress that was like a 16 year old girl um when when they started shooting buffy and she had like something in her contract to like <laughs> never be in the room with him alone or something so it's like yeah oh just God. weird stuff joss whedon <laughs> is a terrible person but i wanted to bring up and this is it's a long time coming for us to actually get to the gavin in the woods but my favorite joss whedon trivia or whatever of is he he had a big magazine feature After he was canceled, this was supposed to be like his kind of comeback, his defense, if you will. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was, was, was that, but then a lot of it was just so much weirder. Okay. And there was something, and apparently this had been said before, but I remember reading this article this is his defense and it seemed to almost imply that when he was a five-year-old kid he like murdered a neighbor or something it was very strange what? <laughs> what? There's, when when he was a kid there was there Wait. was a there was a when he was a kid there was a neighbor kid that used to come over to their house and then one day he was found drowned in like joss whedon's family pond or something and this article that i was reading which was issued by joss whedon's pr team did not make any effort to say joss whedon didn't do it it was the strangest thing ever and i hope someone out here who's listening knows what i'm talking about or or can find that article and read about it because it was very strange i think i've just
1: found the article
0: okay Uh,
1: all it says is it's titled joss whedon finally has something to say
0: yeah, that's probably it. I don't remember that. I mean, I read this a few years ago.
1: Yeah, I'm just scrolling through to try to find this, him murdering his neighbor story.
0: But yeah, so everyone hates Joss Whedon now. Uh, everyone loved him for a while. I never really did. I never saw Buffy, but I just, like, I've seen Joss Whedon in interviews, and he just seems like really smug, like, Wait, hold, asshole.
1: Hold up, can I, can I pause you there for okay. a second?
0: What's what's that? <laughs> I, I don't
1: know if I'm going to be able to stop laughing. Okay. <laughs>
0: Did you find the the murder story? Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm going to read you this little paragraph. When he was five... This is
0: beca- this is becoming like a conspiracy theory podcast now because we're ta- <laughs> was talking about Chevy Chase murdering someone last week. <laughs> yeah, let's roll with it. So
1: uh, it says, When he was five, a four-year-old boy, the son of family friends, disappeared on his parents' property upstate. Eventually, his body was found. He had drowned in the pond. Years later, as a teenager, Whedon remembered he had called the boy over to the pond to play with him. After getting bored, he had walked away, leaving the boy alone by the water. I didn't think it was my fault, Whedon said. I knew I was five, but it just doesn't... But but it doesn't just disappear as a thought. It took him another 30 years, he said, before another thought dawned on him. Even after the incident, his parents never taught him to swim. There was no structure, he said. There was no safety. And that's the end of the Oh, quote. shit. You're murdering children <laughs> yeah, on the you property. Yeah, you called a friend over and drowned him. You piece of shit. That's yeah. why you're canceled.
0: Allegedly. Yeah, well, it, the weird part is that's not why he was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yeah, so Joss Whedon, you know, there was, a, there was certainly a, a span of time where everyone loved him. I know when the the first Avengers movie came out, pretty close to the time that The Cabin in the Woods got its wide release in the U.S.
1: Yeah, they were both 2012, weren't they?
0: Yeah, it was so it was a huge year for Joss Whedon, and I think at the time I had never heard of him. And then it, you know the Avengers comes out, I saw it, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And everyone's like, oh yeah, that Joss Whedon man, his his dialogue. And it's like what, what like <laughs> was I supposed to know who this guy was? And then it's like, oh, he was a you know I never saw. Oh, him
1: he was a murderer. Yeah, okay. you're right.
0: His dialogue. Well, yeah, good. he was <laughs> as a child. Um, <laughs> we'll have to check on the statute of limitations on that, but. Um, But yeah, so, uh, you know, Joss Whedon, thankfully, did not direct this film. He was involved in the writing. He produced it. But yeah, this film is directed by Drew Goddard, who um, I guess was kind of a Joss Whedon protege. He worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel. Oh, he wrote Cloverfield. Okay. And then he's directed a few films since this, including one of my favorite movies the last five, six, ten years, uh, The Bad Times at the El Royale. He directed that. I really like that movie. Well, I guess to to fully transition from Joss Whedon murdering a child (laughs) when he was a child to the cabin in the woods, let's say maybe it wasn't murder, maybe it was ritual sacrifice. (gasps) Oh! Everybody ready? (laughs) Doesn't even show up on the GPS. It's unworthy of global positioning. That's the whole point. Get off the grid, right?
1: Hello? I'm thinking this thing doesn't take credit cards. Signs says closed. We're looking for, uh, what's it called?
0: Tillerman Road. Not to get you there. Getting back. That's your concern. The Cabin in the Woods opens with dark, ominous, you know, drawings over the opening credits and, like, creepy horror music, but then the first scene proper is just boring guys and shirts and ties in an office right yeah like it, yeah. It's, it's supposed to be very just the contrast there and it, and it is funny and, and overall like my favorite part of this film is these two guys it's richard jenkins who plays Siderson, who's a technician and bradley whitford the guy i mentioned from the west wing he po- who played josh lyman there he here he plays hadley another technician they're just a lot of fun together they're both super sassy (laughs) sarcastic kind of like weirdos and they're fun but the two of them are just talking really like mundane normal stuff and then they get some news that something in stockholm failed and therefore everything or whatever in their company is relying on them and japan Then they get in a a, like a golf cart and they're just driving around And then it just, the title comes up, like, really, really bluntly. It just says The Cabin in the Woods. And it's just a really fun opening because it's obviously not at all what you would expect from a movie of this title. When this
1: movie came out, I had a very good friend who went to see it. And we were supposed to see it together, but I dropped out. I had to do something. And I spoke to my friend the next day. I said, how was it? He goes, oh, I hated it. And I said, why? He goes, it wasn't really a horror movie. And then I didn't... Which
0: it isn't really. I mean, I, I think it's Yeah, it's it's like really a sci-fi, it,
1: I guess. It's more of
0: a comedy. Yeah. You know me. I know I mentioned this. I don't really like horror comedies. I tend to, you know, cuz in many cases they don't take the horror seriously enough for me to really enjoy them. Like I think Scream, I think is a good example of that is first and foremost a good horror movie, mm-hmm. and it has comedy on top of that. Mm-hmm. This movie to me I think is just a good comedy. That has some horror stuff that, for me, doesn't work that well as a horror movie. But I still think the movie's funny and I like it. Well, exactly.
1: But. Well, Because it, it's so interesting. And this opening scene leads into my favorite part of the movie, which is all the interesting stuff happening in this organization.
0: Yeah. I love when they're taking bets. That's probably my favorite <laughs> scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, no. You talked about wanting to see this when it came out. Was this advertised as like a straight horror movie? Because I could I believe see that was. pissing people off. I
1: believe it was. Okay
0: yeah I would guess if there's if the trailer probably didn't have anything with Bradley Whitford or Richard Jenkins, I would guess I would guess it was all Chris Hemsworth and his buddies, right? Yes, yeah, so after this introduction to these people where we still we don't really know anything that's going on with them. We don't know why the movie's opening with them. We don't know if anything they're talking about is important. We meet our kind of main teens, they're all college students, Dana played by Kristen Connolly, and Jules, her friend Jules played by Anna Hutchison. They're getting ready to go on a trip to Jules' boyfriend's cousin's cabin. And Jules' boyfriend, of course, is Kurt, played by Chris Hemsworth. And he shows up there with his friend Holden, who Dana has not met before, but it's very obvious that Kurt and Jules are trying to set her up with them. This is how most horror movies open, right? Or, or I should say, you have that opening stinger, right? You have an, someone getting killed, And then you meet all your main characters. And I've seen so many of them that have this like exact scene, basically. Hellfest, which we've covered on this podcast, has this exact scene where they are getting ready in, I think it's an apartment, and they're talking about how the main girl, how they're trying to set her up with this other character that's going to be there. And it's, it's the same exact thing. So if you don't know this is a horror comedy at this point, you're probably watching this going like, oh, come on, I've seen this before. But that's the point. Yes, but they do establish a few moments even early on where it kind of is a comedy because you see Chris Hemsworth, he's an athlete right he's the he's the dumb jock but then he talks to them and is like oh you know are you reading that book like oh no you actually that's you know the the professor covers all that you actually want to be reading this and it's like okay oh, so, so he's not a dumb jock mm-hmm. that's just what he looks like he's really a, a smart guy and then so you know they're they're playing with those kinds of those kinds of i guess tropes yeah before they leave before they get in the rv they are joined by their final person Shaggy. who I think a lot of people <laughs> would say is the best character of the film yeah I think it's Hadley and, and that myself but I agree this with you good. but he's third best
1: or second best I guess he's
0: he's the best of the teen characters this is Marty a stoner who we first see driving along smoking from like a thermos bong <laughs> like a bong he's made yeah. out of or maybe a thermos that he made into a bong like I don't know yeah. what this is but it's amazing and so it's set up like okay Dana is, if not a virgin, at least, you know, the innocent girl, right? She's virginal. Kurt is the dumb jack, although we already know he's not really dumb. Jewel's a little flirty, but she's also seemingly in a committed relationship with Kurt. So, like, you might be tempted to say, oh, she's, like, the slut or the whore. But also, like, is she really? We don't really know. about And then Marty's the stoner, obviously. We don't really know anything at this point about Holden other than he's obviously the love interest for Dana. Mm-hmm. So as they drive off in their RV, Marty does, you know, he's smoking and he's talking his conspiracy theory stuff about how the producer of this film killed a child when he was five years old. <laughs> he says, society needs to crumble. We're just too chicken shit to let it. So he has a lot of this, like, the world is fucked up kind of dialogue, and uh, which is a theme of the movie. He's stereotypical, like, kind of paranoid stoner who thinks he's a lot deeper than he is but in this film it turns out that he's actually just as deep as he should be i mean (laughs) really but so the rv stops at your average creepy gas station the actor whoever that guy is i think i've seen him in something else he is perfect as creepy gas station owner (laughs) as they call him the harb harb harbinger the Harbinger, they call him that later on. There's a very funny scene when after he they get some gas and he says some weird things to them. He, he doesn't go full on crazy Ralph, but, you know, he's enough to make them kind of unsettled. Yes, yeah. Later on, he calls the security team at this facility and tells them what's going on. And they um, Bradley Whitford puts him on speakerphone so they can make fun of him because he's giving the really cliche movie dialogue about like oh you know all the he's doing it in character
1: right whereas like all these guys they're just office workers and like field agents right for this organization and he could have called them up and been like hey the kids are on their way you know that though but i'm just letting you know they're on their way yes
0: but he's like the lambs are being led to the slaughter yes (laughs) yeah he, he yeah exactly he he answers he talks in character almost like they hired him because he is that guy from a horror movie yes he's, yeah. not, he's not like <laughs> like it makes sense that he pretends to be that guy when he's talking to, to the teens but no apparently he just is that <laughs> all these people now in the security room with all the television screens and stuff like that watching everything that goes on they're just normal everyday office guys a little sassy a little um bradley whitford This is not too different from the character he plays on The West Wing, Mm -hmm. who was incredibly sassy and incredibly (laughs) sarcastic. And I've talked to a lot of people who hate him on that show because he's just too much. I think he's awesome on that show. I agree he's too much, but (laughs) I think he's fun as a television character. I think he's fun as this movie character here. I know Richard Jenkins is in Step Brothers, which I've never seen, but for the most part, I think Richard Jenkins kind of a serious actor so seeing him kind of goof off in this movie is quite fun although anyone who's seen Step Brothers would probably be like oh yeah he's not a serious actor so maybe i'm yeah. wrong i don't know but going back to the scene that we were just talking about the best part
1: about it is that he's doing this character and then he realizes he's on speakerphone when everybody's snickering at him <laughs> yeah and he's like what did you put me on speakerphone? I mean, that's not that's not very nice. You know, I'm just trying to tell you no, what's going No, I didn't.
0: On. Oh, oh, wait, it looks like I did. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but like, he know? completely but they... comes
1: out of character right back to his normal yeah. Mordecai And then self. they do it again. They do it twice <laughs> yeah. on him. Yeah.
0: It's, it's quite a fun scene. So at this point, we, we learn a little bit more about what goes on at the facility. They're obviously monitoring all this stuff. We don't know exactly why, but we know apparently they've hired this guy to creep them out and we also see that the main character is going into this cabin, that they're they have to drive through a rock tunnel, like through a mountain. That tunnel's supposed to be sealed off, and that there's a force field, like around their area, because we see like an eagle fly into it and just die.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: So they check into their creepy cabin. Of course it's a creepy cabin. It looks exactly like the Evil Dead cabin, basically. Holden finds out that when he takes down like a painting, he sees that he has like a window into dana's room and he does this kind of like oh i kind of want to watch her change but i know i shouldn't and he eventually they show everyone that or he shows everyone that like okay this is what's going on it's it's like the interrogation mirror that sean connery breaks through. So it's a <laughs> one-way mirror right yeah. it's it's There's a window so, on one Patrick, side it's there a mirror are so on the many other. similarities
1: between our two films
0: <laughs> holden and dana end up switching rooms because because he is the good guy you know he's the love interest he's like hey i'm sure you don't feel comfortable This, like i i would put the painting back up but like still you know and they switch but then she doesn't put up the painting for a while and she sees holden take off his shirt and has that conflict within her before she realizes oh i actually should not watch this uh, so she puts the painting up and then realizes it's a creepy painting, so she actually covers it with a blanket.
1: Now, hold on, before you continue, another another similarity our movies have. Chris Hemsworth was also
0: Sexiest Man Alive in 2014. Okay, not at the age of 65, though. No, right? no, no. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes a little bit more sense than Connery getting that in 89. <laughs> One of the funniest lines of the movie is when they're looking at this mirror interrogation room and Marty has this line. He's like, well, you know, it's the pilgrim days. They had to build their own interrogation rooms back then. (laughs) He has some line like that. that Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Marty was a lot funnier than I remembered him. Yeah, I I totally agree. Even though he is a stoner, they don't go for like stoner comedy with them. They just kind of make him funny just generically kind of not fish out of water what how how would you describe it he's 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 kind of aware that they're in like a horror movie situation yeah and
1: he seems to be the only one that's that's self-aware about it
0: yeah self-aware is is the
1: better way to put it yeah we're not just seeing horror tropes in this movie this movie's all about the horror tropes that's the joke of the movie sure that's like the backbone of this movie really
0: what we eventually learn and we've already picked up some bits of this obviously but what's going on over that facility is they are recreating all these horror tropes with these other people for purposes that we still don't know yet but this movie basically kind of offers an explanation for how stupid things happen in horror movies basically right (laughs) yeah because they're like we need to make sure these people are dumb how are we doing that Jules just got new hair dye, she's blonde now. That's they actually put like a chemical in her hair dye to make her dumber. (laughs) Yeah. And that's pretty clever. If you want to see another movie that kind of does that, or it does it in less, I would say, a comedic way, but it also does this thing where like it kind of serves as an explanation for other horror movies for like how things happen. Check out Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It's like a faux documentary style of like a guy who wants to become michael myers and who's like got this team of filmmakers like filming his murder rampage they do a lot of really neat things of like this is what you're supposed to do you're supposed to be noticed by the final girl but then you're supposed to disappear by the time she turns turns away and then looks back and they kind of show how you do that how that makes sense in a real movie universe Uh. because it doesn't quite frankly make sense when michael myers does it or whatever let's get
1: this I seriously
0: believe something weird is going on. As these teens continue to party in their cabin in scenes that, again, feel incredibly authentic to just genuine horror movies, so many of these scenes are like, the, the, like the way these characters interact, this reminded me so much of the Friday the 13th remake from 2009. Yes, exactly. was a really similar scene I was going to gonna that.
1: bring that up, yeah. <laughs>
0: As, as they're doing all this stuff they they're doing a game of truth or dare and they they dare jewels to make out with a mounted wolf head <laughs> which of course is mounted to be scary it's mounted to have like a snarl on its face and it's and it's 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 incredibly stupid at first of course Marty is the one that makes a dare and he tells her to he dares her to go make out with that moose and they're like what a, what are you talking about it's clearly a wolf but I like this because you're kind of expecting something to happen with that creepy wolf thing Mm -hmm. and like it would be stupid if it did but you're still expecting that because again, even in Evil Dead 2 there's a mounted deer head that moves around and laughs at people and it's like, okay, you're expecting them to do kind of something with that and they don't do it Said it's just a strange scene with a very attractive woman making out with, <laughs> with a mounted wolf head.
1: Very strange
0: scene. So while this is going on, we, we see at the facility now a ton of people are in the security room and they're all taking bets. <laughs> and what are they betting on exactly? Apparently it's to see what will actually kill these teens. You see, like, the board, and you see, it's fun to, like, pause it and just see some of the weird stuff that's written on there, like, weirdly specific. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hadley, Bradley Whitford, of course, really wants it to be a mermaid or a merman, excuse me. He bets on a merman, like, every year, and it's never been a merman once, but he's <laughs> holding out hope still. And while this is all happening, there's, like, one security guard in particular who isn't cool with this, and he thinks that it's, like, oh, this doesn't really seem like morally acceptable and they explain to him you know they're not actually rigging the game they rig it just as much as they need to they try and make everybody dumber but ultimately whatever ends up killing them will be their own doing Mm -hmm. and we see exactly how that plays out when the cellar door opens and they all go down into the basement and they see all these different things and each one corresponds to something that people were betting on chris hemsworth picks up a ball that has like moving pieces and it's very clearly like a like a hellraiser thing even though it's a ball and not a cube. And later on, we see they clearly wanted to have Pinhead in this movie, and they just couldn't get the rights to yeah, him. Yeah, said he right. was but Sawhead,
1: they, <laughs> circular Sawhead.
0: Yeah, he's got like a saw in his head, but but it's the exact exact same like appearance otherwise. And he's holding that thing just like Pinhead on the poster of. You see all these other things: doll heads, masks. There's a conch, which I think Holden holds at one point, point. and
1: <laughs> that's gonna call a merman
0: <laughs> when they actually when it's revealed what actually is come to kill them. <laughs> then they figure out like okay who won engineering won or whatever and then this other guy that also this other intern that also bet on the same thing uh it's the the redneck zombies redneck zombie torture family i believe is the phrase yeah yeah and, <laughs> and like bradley whitford is like all bummed out and then uh richard jenkins goes up to him and he's like oh man i'm sorry and he's like he had the conch in his hand like, <laughs> like it was so close to being a merman had he just done something with that conch
1: i also like that same scene there's like that other woman who works in the facility and she's like hey i had zombie too and he goes no, no no you had zombies yeah. they had redneck redneck torture yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>, redneck <right.
0: laughs> zombie torture family there's clearly a difference like yeah that's fun <laughs>
1: yeah it was great
0: but what so they get the redneck zombie torture family but they specifically <laughs> get that because dana starts reading from a diary that she finds of a family that supposedly the the buckner family that supposedly lived at that house in like 1900 and she's reading all this stuff about the dad like murdering the kids or something she's like reading all about this and then she's like oh there's more stuff in latin only marty says it but he's like don't read that i'm drawing the line at the latin like (laughs) but she ends up reading it and i've written it down this is not correct latin Oh no. This is shocking to you, I'm sure, as, <laughs> as a as a film viewer who expects attention to detail. Can you read it? Is it like readable Latin? I can read it. Well, it is, but here's the thing. They didn't conjugate a damn thing. They, every noun is in the nominative. I mean, technically it can't be translated, but you can tell what they're going for. And in that sense, it could be translated a few ways. But And I'm going to pronounce it differently. I stick to the classical pronunciation Vs are Ws? Okay, I'm not doing this vivo stuff. That's not a thing. That's modern Latin. Dolor super vivo caro. Dolor sublimus caro. Dolor ignio animus. I could tell what they were saying, even though I could tell it was off, and it it should be. And I've, I believe me, I've written this so that it should be correct. Okay. Because if if it means as they eventually kind of find out that it means, it's uh later on, it's Holden who's able to read it which surprises himself because he hasn't read Latin since 10th grade or something. But he is, in this experiment, he is the nerd, the smart guy. Mm-hmm. So he's made smarter. But dolor super vivo caro, that's pain outlasts the flesh or the body. Dolor sublimos caro, that's pain exceeds the body? I don't. I don't remember that one exactly. But dolor ignio animus is that pain ignites the soul
1: oh okay
0: the problem here is Dolore and caro are both nominative thus they're both the subject so it, you could also say the body supersedes pain
1: gotcha okay yeah
0: because if they're both nominative and it, 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 then it doesn't even matter because the verb super wewo is first person so that's i supersede but then we're talking third person nouns here so it doesn't make any sense here's what it should be folks I know this is what you've come here to listen to. <laughs>
1: I'm having a he- I'm having a heck of a time, Patrick. Keep reading.
0: First of all, I mean word order technically doesn't matter in Latin because the the cases and the conjugations, and everything. But you're a psychopath if you don't put the verb at the end of the sentence. That's just like a fact. <laughs> so it should be <laughs> dolor carnem superwewit, dolor carnem sublimat, dolor animum ignit. Oh, okay. Josh, are you listening? I'm okay with you killing a four-year-old child, but I'm not okay with you butchering this Latin, sir.
1: <laughs> I'm okay with you killing a four-year-old kid. I'm not okay with you murdering the classics.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, Sean Connery would have gotten this right, right? He's, he's reading, his, uh, his, reading his philosophy and his Shakespeare and... <laughs> No, I. This is this is this is movie Latin. They never do it right, and it's fine. It's just rare. They don't always dwell on it like long enough for me to actually like write stuff down and figure out. Okay, this is the mistake that they made. A lot of times, it's just like written on the wall somewhere, and mm-hmm. I don't really get a good look at it. So, I, so I decided to just make a little game out of that, Joss Whedon, you fraud. <laughs> You're the Hans Zimmer of Latin. <laughs> Once this Latin is read, bodies rise from the ground outside, and these are of course the redneck zombie torture family, the Buckners. Jules and Kurt go outside to have sex. Everyone at the security is watching very, very closely <laughs> and intently. At this it's point crazy... it's not as busy a room. <laughs> and 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 then it's that same security guard, that rookie security guard is like, Is this is all this necessary? Hadley says something like, "You don't understand. This is like how it has to be done. This is the uh, the 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 people upstairs want it ne- demand that it be done this way or something." Mm-hmm. So again, this is an explanation for why is there so much nudity and stupid ass horror movies, right? But I like that they they do the they pump in pheromones. Yes. into the woods and <laughs> yeah. stuff
1: and change the lighting to make it brighter for her and they also increase the temperature she's complaining it's too cold she doesn't want to take her top off <laughs> yes <laughs> so they, but then
0: they, they increase the temperature to like 78 degrees <laughs> <Yeah>. or something <laughs> eventually the redneck zombie torture family shows up they stab her in the hand they fight kurt and they eventually behead jewels and by the way the, the dad of the
1: redneck torture family has the coolest weapon a bear trap on a chain
0: yeah, that's interesting. Genuinely interesting. <laughs> <laughs> After Jules is killed, Bradley Whitford goes and like pulls some kind of a switch, and we see blood filling in like uh, this etching on a stone. So back at the cabin, Mar- Marty's frustrated that no one realizes how weird everyone's acting, even Dana, because uh, Kurt says something, some like dumb jock line about it. He calls Holden an egghead. <laughs> and He goes like, why is Kurt acting like that? Like he's that guy's a sociology major yeah. or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a great line.
0: <laughs> Marty goes outside to pee and we see in the background one of the zombies is the zombie kid approaching him slowly. But then Kurt shows up. And they run inside because they're being attacked by zombies. They barricade the door. In this instance, they're acting correctly. They're like, okay, we have to stick together. This is what Kurt says. But then over the facility, they need to make him dumber. So they pump in some dumb gas. And then, like, seconds after he's like, okay, we need to stick together. Then he goes, wait a second, we should split up. We can cover more ground that way. And then Holden's (laughs) like, yeah, I agree. And Marty, again, is, like, the only one who's like, what? That's a terrible idea. But then... (laughs) Then the zombies start breaking through, so they all go to their rooms, and then from the facility, they lock their rooms. Marty then finds a camera in the lamp and kind of realizes what's going on. And not fully. He thinks he's on a reality TV show. And he's like, oh, my, my mom's going to think I'm such a burnout or something. And at the facility, they're wondering, like, what? I thought I thought the weed that we gave him was supposed to make him dumb. Like, what's going on? This is clearly not... Like, he's figuring things out too easily, but... <laughs> It almost doesn't matter because a zombie takes him through the window, drags him around, stabs him in the back. And again, he seemingly dies, though we don't really see him die. We do see, again, blood being emptied into one of those etchings, though. Mm -hmm. Dana and Holden find their way into the cellar, or actually a different room of the cellar. They end up kind of killing a zombie, but, you know, it's a zombie, so not really. (laughs) They eventually get out. And so does Chris Hemsworth. So the three of them get back in the R V and they are ready to just drive the hell away when over at the facility they realize that no one has closed off the tunnel. So (laughs) this is a crazy Richard Jenkins is running like mad all throughout that office he's trying to get to engineering and eventually he's like hot wiring it and and, and the engineering is is going like, we never got the order like no one told us to do this he's like eh. so, so but he closes it like just in time no they don't crash they just all these rocks just, yeah just, just fall down and block everything well
1: and also i think at this point they're watching the monitors right and they realize that the japanese version isn't going so well
0: I think at this point, Japan's going okay. I think it's a little bit later that we see Japan has completely failed. But we do see little glimpses of what's going on in Japan. And it's this creepy ghost girl who looks like she's straight out of the ring yeah. in a <laughs> yeah. in a classroom full of, like, nine-year-old girls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we also see little glimpses of other experiments that didn't work out. And these are all references to horror movies, clearly. Like, there's clearly, like, a dead King Kong Yes. In uh, somewhere in South America, I think. Where was it? Do you remember? There was like a castle on fire somewhere. Yeah. And there was in in Sweden. It looks like it's like maybe the thing. Oh, that was it. There's it was like Sweden. something it was the going yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, you can't go too crazy, and especially because you can get sued. But I would have liked to see a little bit more of this because we clearly have Pinhead in this movie. We clearly are doing a Hellraiser thing. We're clearly doing a thing with the ring.
1: You know what would have been really cool? If they had made like five or six movies in this universe and people didn't know it was connected, but it was only at the end of each movie that you got like a 10 minute clip of like these people in these facilities across the world
0: full cloverfield or something yeah kind yeah of. yeah
1: and then like then at, like in the last half hour 45 minutes of the sixth movie that's when you get the whole tie-in you know i think that would have been a neat thing
0: i th- I think the only way you could do that would be like a netflix thing like a fear street i don't think you could just do that with five six theatrical yeah, released I movies i agree and you can't do it now because captain of the woods is well, you don't want to give Joss Whedon any royalties, first of all. But uh. <laughs> What,
1: what, what well, but what if you come out with other ones called like Cabin in the Mountains, you know,
0: or Chalet on the Fjord? <laughs> to a very small extent, this is kind of what Fear Street did, right? Fear Street did a summer camp slasher in the part two that was very clearly a Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. uh, the burning, a sleepaway camp, whatever. The first one kind of a scream but it really just kind of like a modern suburban slasher modern 1994 and then the third one well famously they just gave up on the third one and (laughs) they just went back to 1994 about halfway through the movies so so they weren't even they weren't even sold on on a 17th century the witch recreation but that was what that was kind of supposed to be but
1: yeah which by the way audience if you're looking for a fear street commentary track we have one of those
0: good point on the first one on on our patreon yes back to the cabin in the woods or rather this mountainous cave they're trapped they don't know what to do they can see there's like a canyon across to the road but they can't get there they don't have any ropes they can't climb until chris hemsworth decides to take a dirt bike and go for the jump dana gives him a kiss on the cheek and he's like i will even if i like am limping i will get Please to come back we'll get choppers we'll get all this like we will get back we will kill these things whatever (laughs) they are really dramatic and then of course he jumps and he hits the force field and falls to his death (laughs) it was a great scene i think i would have liked the scene better if he didn't hit a force field and he just came and he just came nowhere near to making the jump and just died yeah (laughs) i think i would have liked that a little bit yeah that would have been hilarious yeah. yeah, I mean, this is funny, but I think it could have been a little bit better if we just, like, see it, and it's, like, in slow motion, it's, like, all dramatic, and then they they just cut to a different angle, and you see he's, like, 30 feet short of the jump, yeah. and he, as he falls to his death, well,
1: I think that would have been. The problem with this death is that it becomes brutal, like, he hits it, the bike kind of, like, sparks up and falls, and then he hits this force field all the way down, like, <laughs> like he's yeah. just flopping on, and you're, like, ugh, that's brutal, like, all the way down this mm-hmm. deep, dark
0: bottomless chasm so so the the two survivors now they get back in the rv and at this point dana is starting to put th- some things together and is like oh my god like marty was onto something we're all because marty had something about like the world is full of puppeteers and we're the puppets things and she's mm-hmm. kind of repeating that now but holden is giving this like don't worry you know i'll st- we'll stick with you you're all i've got but then he just gets stabbed in the neck <laughs> while he's driving because there's a zombie in the rv and the rv crashes into the lake with dana escaping from the zombie and getting back to the dock and we see over at this facility a huge celebration is occurring even though she's still alive and this new security guard is like wait why why is everyone celebrating and they're like well the virgin doesn't have to die as long (laughs) as she's the last to live it's okay if she dies and it's like okay so they're doing uh the final girl thing obviously they're all celebrating until they get a phone call from the directress i guess or the director excuse me telling Bradley Whitford that one of them is actually still alive. It's not done yet. Or another one of them is still alive, yeah. I should say. Meanwhile, Dana's being attacked by a zombie on the dock. But she is saved by Marty, who beats the zombie with his thermos bong. <laughs> well, also, now, by this point, though, the, the
1: Japanese one has failed, right?
0: So so they know they're the only hope, right? And 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 what are they on- the the only hope for we still don't quite know but we can probably kind of piece it together at this point and
1: now i want to say that there's a great line where when the japanese one fails he looks at the screen he goes ah <laughs> if you what do you say he goes the, the best things are made in america or something
0: well i like richard richard jenkins like how fucking hard is it to kill nine <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was great. Because, because it's
0: a complete failure. They don't even have one fatality there. Yeah,
1: yeah. And like all these nine-year-olds are singing and holding hands and like putting the spirit of this ghost in a frog, you know, <laughs> it's it's all great.
0: I like the indication too that there's like cultural differences. This is the American culture where they have to have the slut, the stoner, who they just call the fool. Because you're not going to have a slut in your classroom of nine-year-old Japanese No, students.
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right? It's clearly a different cultural context. So I think that's kind of neat. So... Marty takes Dana to where he was attacked by the zombie and they actually like dig into the grave and find an elevator and they realize that those things, those zombies were sent up to attack them. They were sent from this elevator. He also killed a zombie, of course, or again, it's a zombie. It's not fully dead. It's in pieces though. And as they get into the elevator, the the zombie arm falls into the elevator with them. (laughs) So they get the elevator moving and they go around and they see all these different monsters. They see there's like a ghost, some kind of phantom thing. They see the, they see Pinhead, yep. who's Sawhead. They, they see like little ballerina girl with teethy mouth. It's Pinhead that makes Dana piece everything together because she recognizes that ball that it's holding. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, we decided what came to get us. Like we made the decision based on what we interacted with in the basement we also see a shot that it shows there's like thousands of these rotating elevator things Mm -hmm. Uh, you know thousands of monsters creepy supernatural stuff including like a giant snake so eventually the security team is able to find them and they they only send one security guard which seems like a mistake they open the elevator they he points the gun at them but then of course the zombie arm distracts him (laughs) thus allowing (laughs) marty to kill the guy Good work, zombie arm. <laughs> so they find their way into this like main elevator hallway area where there's like 10 elevators that come down to this main room and they're being shot at by all these other security guards. They get into this room and Dana realizes that she can give them some time if she releases everything. So she goes full. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Was that the movie at the end of it where the kid just released all the dinosaurs? I don't know.
1: the last one I saw was the was the was the reboot of Jurassic Park. I didn't watch the one it
0: was the second it was the second of the new ones where the kid at the end of the movie just releases the dinosaurs (laughs) to the world. She does that here. And it's like immediate. Like all these monsters come out and kill all these people. There's blood (laughs) everywhere. There's like a giant there's a giant bat. There's the giant cobra that I mentioned. There's zombies. There's like everything you can imagine. And basically, the <laughs> there's werewolf. like a robot crab thing with like a saw on its arm, and <laughs> there's so much going on in these scenes where you can like watch it again and like, oh, I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. I think when I first saw this, the things that stuck out to me were the cobra stands out because I love snakes and it's a giant cobra. The bat yeah eventually we get that merman eventually the merman gets his own <laughs> that might be one of my favorite own, scenes if i'm honest <laughs> it's it's amazing yes um there's also a unicorn we didn't say that a unicorn stabs a guy Multiple which times. is really Not, fun. and it's
1: like the unicorn didn't just stab him once and run away it but it pulled him. out and gored him yeah. two or three more times yeah
0: <laughs> does make you wonder how they fit a king kong in a in an elevator though <laughs> so the our two remaining survivors escape we kind of don't see them for a while because we cut back to the main security room, which is like a vault, and the vault is being banged down by all these monsters inside that are trying to get in. Bradley Whitford is gunning him down with his machine gun. <laughs> Eventually they get in, the secu- The rookie security guard is killed, the the woman. By like an octopus,
1: she's ripped through the ceiling.
0: Yeah, she's like the last to go here because Bradley Whitford he gets knocked to the ground and he's on the ground and he looks and he just sees a merman slowly approaching him yeah. and he's just I don't remember what he says exactly, he but says, there's like oh, a man Yeah, there's like a you gotta be kidding me moment and then it's kind of wish fulfillment, but also not as the merman kills him and it kills him in amaz well, first of all the merman
1: it looks disgusting. It is a,
0: it's a disgusting looking thing. It <laughs> is. It's uh, it's kind of flops around. It's very rubbery, which feels great. It's very throwback.
1: I don't know if I'd call it a merman. It's more like a
0: dolphin man.
1: You know, it's got like a tail that's just flopping around and it has like a blowhole. So when he's like... You're right,
0: it has a blowhole. So hole. when he's
1: eating them, he's shooting all the
0: blood out of this blowhole. <laughs> also, the effects in this movie. I do think... The, I mean, this movie has definitely more CGI than I would like to see, but I also understand why that is, because they just have so much crap going on, mm-hmm. but when they do Practical, it works. This Merman is awesome. It's really creepy. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's creative. I, I don't know if he's the main guy, but one of the effects guy, the makeup effects, special effects guys on this movie is David Leroy Anderson, who worked on a lot of horror movies. I, I know he did Shocker. Oh, David Lee Roy Anderson also, of course, is married to Heather Langenkamp, who you know, the the star of *Nightmare on yeah, Elm Street*, sure, yeah, yeah. has a bit of a career as a special effects artist too, because I think she kind of works with her husband a lot. Oh, that's kind of her cool. name is in the is in the credits on IMDb, so she was involved in maybe *The Merman*, who knows? <laughs> which is that's just a lot of fun. She had a cameo in *Shocker*. I assume she had a cameo because you know shocker Wes Craven and he's like hey buddy you want to get in this movie and play a dead body but maybe she had a cameo because she was she married David Leroy Anderson around that time she married him in 1989 which is the year shocker came out and the year Sean Connery
1: won sexiest man alive
0: (laughs) exactly yeah so sorry David Leroy Anderson Heather Langenkamp really wanted to marry Sean Connery it just didn't work out (laughs) this is definitely not I mean it's it's no the thing it's no one of those like classic practical effects movies but there's a, a lot of good practical effects in this movie though and i i do th- want to highlight that here oh yeah for sure from this main security room richard jenkins is the only one alive he gets down he slips into the basement and he gets kind of stabbed accidentally by dana who's just kind of running along with a knife so he dies And then Dana and Marty stumble into this room with all these big, ancient, sacrificial drawings, which these are the etchings that have been covered up in blood. We see all of them are covered in blood except for the virgin. And you can kind of see what each one's supposed to be. The guy holding a spear is the athlete. Mm -hmm. The relief with big tits is the whore. (laughs) And eventually... The director introduces herself to them, and the director, of course, is Sigourney Weaver. Now, never heard of her. I don't want to say this was ruined for me because it's not like this is a big twist or anything, but it's definitely supposed to be like a reveal. You're like, oh, I had no idea Sigourney Weaver was in this movie. Mm -hmm. When I first saw this movie, when they first get off the elevator, and there's like that PA voice. I could tell right away that was Sigourney Weaver's voice, so that was kind of ruined for me. That that was not like a big Yeah, I feel reveal. you on that one. For me, I'm like, oh, I guess Sigourney is going to be in this movie at some point when I heard that. The first time I saw it, I thought, oh, they're using Sigourney Weaver's voice. That's fun. Yeah. You know, I would compare it a bit to um, a movie that I know you've seen. I saw it recently for the first time, Bullet Train. Yes, yeah. Because he's talking on the phone the entire time with his boss, and I'm like, oh, that's Sandra Bullock. Yeah. And then in the last five minutes of the movie, Sandra Bullock shows up. It's like, oh, that was probably supposed to be a bit of a... Ed Harris and Snowpiercer is kind of like that, too. You hear his voice throughout the movie, but you don't actually see Ed Harris until like the very end. And it's like, oh, but I knew, but I knew it was Ed Harris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they always pick actors with very uh, distinct voices. I don't think they do. I think I'm just good at picking that out. I don't know. I, I don't know, but... I, I will be that, honest, I
1: didn't catch the Sandra Bullock one when I watched Bullet Train the first time.
0: I don't know, maybe just those kinds of twists just don't work on me. Maybe my own brain just <laughs> recognizes voices too well. I don't know. So Sigourney Weaver explains what's going on. They have to sacrifice these people to the ancient gods that used to rule the earth. Otherwise, they will attack and destroy it. We need the fool to die before the virgin. And there's a, a cute little line like, dana's like virgin and then she's just like we work with what we have (laughs) yeah (laughs) thus implying that in the 21st century all women are whores and we don't have (laughs) virgins right that's that's what the joke is so dana's dana realizes what's going on so she pulls the gun and points it at marty but then a werewolf attacks her while the werewolf is attacking her, Marty fights Sigourney Weaver and throws her into this pit, which I guess leads to the Elder Gods. We haven't said it, but this is a very like Lovecraftian yeah. idea thing, really, which makes sense. Joss Whedon would write, like a little bit of Lovecraft stuff because I, like I said, I don't like Joss Whedon. I think he's a prick and a lot of assholes I know are like really into H.P. Lovecraft.
1: Yeah, I, what's up with that? We know somebody who's very into H.P. Lovecraft.
0: H.P. Lovecraft, also famous asshole, but that's not the the reason. I just like know a lot of like weird people who are like, oh yeah, H.P. Lovecraft is the, the greatest. Someone told me once that I think H.P. Lovecraft is the most important writer of the 20th century and I'm like, okay. T.S. <laughs> Eliot, Virginia Woolf. <laughs> James Joyce, <laughs> he doesn't crack the top fifty. You know, quite exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, he's not a bad writer. It's just like that was, an ins- and he's just like, oh, just think of how many things have been inspired by him.
1: Name ten things that have been inspired by by
0: Lovecraft. Horror movies. That that's, that's what it was. And this guy was into horror movies, so he thought H.P. Lovecraft was more important than James Joyce. I guess I don't know. It's it an insane opinion to have. Don't Idiot. Get me wrong. <laughs> Anyways, Sigourney Weaver's dead. Marty kills or scares off the werewolf and the two of them kind of sit there. They're basically dying, or at least she certainly is because she's been attacked by a werewolf. (laughs) They share a joint as they discuss. She's like, I'm sorry for almost killing you. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry for almost letting you get killed by a werewolf. (laughs) And they kind of go back to what he said at the end. Like, oh, you know, we could save the world. But kind of going back to what he said when he was in the RV, Maybe the world's not worth saving. Maybe it's better off just to let it all end and let someone else try anew. And so a giant hand emerges and we see it crushing the cabin. And that is the end of The Cabin in the Woods. Jim, what did you think?
1: I forgot how much I loved this movie. I forgot how funny it was
0: it is a very funny movie
1: how dare yeah. i say witty it was and uh, how what's the word i'm looking for how how self-aware i guess it was and how aware of all h- horror movies and horror movie tropes it was and i think mm-hmm. if you're looking for a movie that pokes fun at all the really dumb stupid things in horror movies this is like a perfect movie for that and just being such a funny comedy that involves a totally weird sub story about elder gods and and an organization that has sprung up around to feed them once a year it, it's just great it's just it's like a it's like a breath of fresh air in the horror franchise if you could call this as part of the horror franchise Fr- genre
0: not frank don't say frame. sorry you're right genre my apologies but yeah I, I liked it a lot how about you i like it but i'm going to push back on your breath of fresh air comment here i how think dare you I I, I agree that this is a clever film, a witty film. It's well-written. There's really funny stuff. Maybe this is just how my brain is wired. But one thing that really annoys me, annoys me, because it can be done well. And and this is a movie that does it pretty well. But the way people talk about it, like when Scream came out, because this movie is... Not going to say it's like inspired by Scream, but you know, you can draw comparisons, right? Mm -hmm. But when Scream came out, people were talking about like, oh, the horror movies, slasher movies were just so dead and stale and all this. And and Scream was a a breath, breath of fresh air. That's what critics said. That's what horror movie fans said. To me, at this point, the meta horror is almost as played out as just regular boring kind of by the numbers horror was when Scream came out. Yeah, and, and, and I mean a caveat here being, Kevin Woods is eleven or twelve years old, so you know it maybe maybe we can't blame it for that. But like at this point, if I see like a an advertisement for like a horror movie or like a slasher movie, and I see that it's going to be this thing where it's, it's like a self aware thing, I'm just like, oh god, another one of those. Like we we don't if if there's one genre that doesn't need more kind of parodies it's horror because that's been to me that's been done to death that having been said i think this movie does a pretty good job of that but at the same time the the most of what i really appreciated about it or most most of what i got out of the comedy wasn't so much like what it was doing with the horror tropes and like i mean i pointed out a lot of that stuff because it's you know it's you got to mention it, obviously, with Cabin in the Woods. But to me, the the really funny stuff is just the contrast of the boring everyday office workers, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who are witness to this like horror movie scenario. To me, that is what's really funny about it, and what's really fresh and kind of different. I said this earlier. I think this movie works a lot better as a comedy than a horror movie, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I do find like most of the horror kind of. I don't want to say by the numbers because that's kind of what it's trying to be. But I find most of the horror stuff like at the cabin kind of underwhelming. I didn't really like how some of it was shot, especially because we made such a point of establishing that the characters over at the office have the ability to change the lighting. I found it really frustrating how dark it was when the redneck zombie torture family was attacking. It was hard to see their, their makeup and the effect on them and stuff I found. Like when the zombies are attacking him in the house. I find all that, like, just, I guess, underwhelming. I mean, I, I understand why it's by the numbers, but mm. I still like hoping to kind of get something out of that. To me, basically the story for the main characters, the teens, starts when they get to the elevator. Yes, yes. The stuff I really enjoy is seeing Bradley Whitford and, and Richard Jenkins. I love their little celebratory dance thing that they do that makes for a great gif. <laughs> And then once Marty and Dana get to the elevator and all hell breaks loose, then then I, I like it. I'm on board for all of that, even though it's a little too CG, a little too, you know, a little more chaotic than stuff that I usually like. Like, I liked all that stuff. I like the movie, but I don't love it. And I don't, it, to me anyways, it's not the breath of fresh air that I guess you say it is.
1: Well, it's funny because I I agree with all the things that you like about the movie. But coming from somebody who doesn't really watch horror movies... Yeah. Like, only for this podcast, really. Like, I never or I rarely go to the theaters and see a horror movie. After sitting through so many dumb fucking horror movies, either for this podcast... We've watched our
0: share. We've watched our share. Exactly,
1: yeah. So, like, after sitting through so many for either this podcast or on my own or with friends at a theater or whatever...
0: Or you've watched spookies now five or six times by <laughs> i now, do I love think. spookies though. imagine if they sent the cat man as one of <laughs> the like, I, like i said earlier they, they clearly do a hellraiser thing there's a <laughs> there's a very small reference to king kong they could have dug up like all these obscure i mean I'm, imagine if they dug up like all these obscure horror movies from like the 80s like movies that were like what if they set the ghoulies well the ghoulies at least have a little bit of clout i'm thinking more like who is too destitute to even sue us if we rip them off? And I'm thinking, can we get a Spookies in there? Can we can we get a uh, Demon Wind or something? But I prefer
1: an Exploding Grim Reaper.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, Exploding Grim Reaper. And and that wouldn't even, I mean, that wouldn't even have to be a, a Spookies because it's just a Grim Reaper, right? But then maybe he could explode at some point in the movie, and <laughs> yeah. and that would be a little, yeah. you know, for those. A little then, nod. No, a little nod to but then again. I'm not saying Joss Whedon, Drew Goddard don't know anything about horror movies or anything. I, they clearly know something, but I have no reason to believe they know what the fuck Spookies is, you know? I mean, no, Spookies exactly. is a deep cut, you know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, you know, and and kind of building off that point when you were the saying... The farting zombies, they could have done oh, the farting yeah, zombies. Oh, yeah, farting z- <laughs> The muckmen. Building off what you were saying about Joss Whedon and, and who was it, Drew Goddard? Drew Goddard, yeah. They don't really know much about horror movies, and that's kind of...
0: No, I'm not, I'm saying they don't know some of the obscure shit that yes, I know. I'm yeah, not yeah, saying yeah. they don't know horror
1: movies. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So they don't, they don't know the obscure shit, and obviously they know- Probably not, anyways. Horror movies, but I think, interestingly enough, I, I feel like this movie was kind of made for people like me, who don't really give a shit about horror movies and want to see something a little I think different,
0: so. you know? i think a lot of like horror fans genuinely like it too and i mean i like it but i think when when scream came out i think scream was kind of a horror movie maybe for a lot of people that thought horror movies were kind of stupid Mm -hmm. it was also in some ways kind of a love letter to horror movies which this movie kind of is too yeah
1: but But like a love a a love letter scribbled in crayon or something you know like
0: a love letter written in the blood of a (laughs) (laughs) four-year-old allegedly allegedly (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think this movie is more for a non-horror fan than it is for a horror fan but that's you know there's a venn diagram of who this movie appeals to it's not two completely different circles yes yeah exactly so all that having been said which of these two movies do you prefer the rock or the cabin in the woods
1: patrick this is a tough one
0: it's tough for me too i'm not gonna lie I, this was not easy i because i don't love either of these movies i like them both i would probably give them the same score on letterbox i would
1: say because really i only had one gripe with the rock and it was too long
0: so that we didn't see sean connery nude
1: yeah exactly yeah i want to see that sexiest man alive's penis
0: <laughs> he's in the shower I yeah mean, we <laughs>
1: Oh yeah but no the, the rock was too long it was like two hours and 15 minutes or something like that
0: it was but I, I when I when I put it in it said like two hours 15 minutes and I'm like oh fuck <laughs> it was more like two hours and five minutes like before credits I think it was it was closer to two hours than two hours 15. Minutes. yeah where
1: but whereas the cabin in the woods was like an hour 30. that was like a perfect length. For that movie and the rock i felt was a little too long just because it they had they had some r- repeat story beats and more headache inducing camera work so i'm gonna say just yeah, because of thing. that i'm gonna go with cabin in the woods but i still love the rock with my whole heart so how about you
0: well it can't get much closer so i am going to go off of A really, really, really specific and stupid, (laughs) downright unfair way to choose choose between them. In both instances, I offered uh, something that could have been added to the movie. Which one angers me more that they didn't do this opportunity? (laughs) Okay. Okay? No farting zombies or no spookies of any kind in the cabin in the woods. Also, I would have done that Chris Hemsworth on the dirt bike joke a little differently. I still think it worked, Mm -hmm. though. Mm -hmm. Or... The Sean Connery being English line. That is just such a blatant, unforgivable misfire (laughs) to not give him an opportunity to say, I'm Scottish, you bastard, or something like that. I think that's the more offensive thing that they miss. So I'm going to say I slightly, slightly prefer Cabin in the Woods for that stupid reason alone. (laughs) You know, I, I could vote for The Rock, Because the Latin insulted me in The Cabin in the Woods, except, (laughs) guess what? You can explain that as, like, this is a stupid horror movie that these people are in. The Latin's not going to be correct. You know, it it kind of annoyed me just because that's a niche interest of mine. I studied Latin for years, but it's perfectly explainable within the context of the film. So, I've also studied Sean Connery for years. (laughs) I know he's not English. (laughs) So, Jim, how do you think this stacks up as a drive-in double feature? We've got action classic modern horror comedy classic how does it work i actually think this works really well
1: i like how we have the loud stupid the rock and we have the sexiest man alive of 1989 and sexiest man of what 2014 when Chris and Hunter, exactly like, yeah and... and and i also love that Though Michael Bay isn't making fun of the action genre, the movie itself kind of makes fun of the action genre because there's so many tropes. In <laughs> Michael
0: Bay himself is kind of just—he's <laughs> yeah. such an easy person to make fun of, maybe. Exactly,
1: yeah. yeah. But like, The Rock is like this big, stupid, dumb action movie that is so much like so many other action movies that it kind of just makes fun of itself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. And then you go to The Cabin in the Woods, where, again, yeah, you have Chris Hemsworth, Sexiest Man Alive, 2014. You have a movie that is knowingly making fun of itself. It's very aware of itself and what it's trying to be. And it's also very aware (laughs) of the horror genre that has come before it. And uh, it's also a hilarious movie. And it's also over the top and bombastic in, like, the last 15, 20 minutes.
0: Which is great. And I think that's a great pairing. But how about you? I'm going to agree with just about everything you said. You do get this kind of a cliche filled kind of somewhat by the numbers action film and then we get a by the numbers horror film but it's beyond by the numbers because the point is that this the horror aspects of this movie are are by the numbers so i think there's like this weird creative energy in the cabin in the woods that the rock doesn't have mm-hmm. but i think that balancing the the two you kind of go from normal kind of traditional by the numbers movie to Oh, kind of like postmodern. All of a sudden, this is this is this is a fun pairing. Now, like the order, the rock comes first. Cabin in the woods to follow it. I think it works.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Dare I say, Patrick, this might be one of our best pairings.
0: Oh, you see, I'm not going that far.
1: Oh, I'd um, say I'd say top ten. Maybe it also sounds maybe like you
0: li- you like both you like both of these movies more than I like them. I so do. I do. It's going to be different for you because of that.
1: I did. Well, the rock is very close to my heart, and I, then I, I also forgot how much I You know what that, else is way.
0: close to your heart? That knife that Nicholas Cage stuck in it. <laughs> the needle? I thought it was a knife. No, they sta- said he, needle, but it looks like a knife.
1: Well, in the movie, like... like it's a big-ass are needle. Are you talking about at the end when he pulls it out? Yeah. Yeah, it, dude, it's a needle, but they fucking give it like a knife sound effect. It goes shing. <laughs> like, it's just a I needle. I say it's a big-ass <laughs> needle.
0: Okay, uh it's like an unsheathing yeah (laughs) (laughs) you see you hear armor being pierced yeah (laughs) exactly all right so uh here's what we've got going on next week we've got saw three and we've got a film that i know nothing about the angry red planet from 1959 i guess it's 50s sci-fi i'm assuming it involves mars (laughs) And the poster, it looks like it's like a giant spider or giant bug creature of some kind. But who knows? The monster may be nothing like that in the actual movie. So I really genuinely have no idea about that movie. I've, of course, seen Saw three a few times. I think I own it on Blu-ray. So I am looking forward to that double feature, Jim. And I hope you are as well. Always,
1: Patrick. Always.
0: (laughs) And audience, I hope the same is true for you. Because we will catch you next week on Revenge of the drive